Heresy and betrayal. These are the words being used to describe the treachery of the Warmaster Horus and his three brothers, Mortarion, Fulgrim, and Angron, against the innocent hiveworld of Istvan III. Once a flourishing planet, now a wasteland, desolate and lifeless after the Emperor's favorite son unleashed the Imperium's greatest weapon, the deadly Life Eater Virus. However, all is not lost. Some valiant legionnaires survived the onslaught thanks to quick thinking and a timely warning. Hidden deep within a bunker under the Coral City, these legionnaires broadcast the truth across the galaxy. Forever hunted, they have vowed to broadcast as long as possible and remain free. Radio Free Estevan. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Radio Free Istvan. This is going to be episode nine. Uh, I'm your host, Michael, and I got with me my co-host, Ryan. What's going on, guys? And Ryan's actually out of Indianapolis, and I'm out of Victoria, Texas. So, man, dude, we, we're doing this whole Skype thing, man. We're making it work for us. Yeah, for sure. Making the heresy work over the internet. <laughs> Internet's a wonderful thing. So, guys, on this episode, we have some uh, some hobby progress between us. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what we've been working on. Then we're going to transition over to a game Ryan played. It's actually, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing this game that you played, to be honest with you. Uh, then uh, we're going to go over some events coming up, and then we're going to go to a musical break, and then we have a special interview with uh, Gav Thorpe, Gav himself, over his uh, new book, Angels of Caliban. And then uh, Ryan actually gathered some questions that uh, some of his boys wanted to ask Gab himself. I got a few of those in, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. So stay tuned, listen, you know. So I guess uh, first things first, Ryan, man, what have you been working on? I heard you had to put a list together for it. Yeah, I've been working on a lot of stuff. Uh, it's been we've just talked about it. it's been two or three weeks since uh, me and you recorded. Um, because you guys had the telethon and all that stuff. Um, but on the painting front, I have uh, painted, I think, two or three more Predators for my Blood Angel army since we last talked. And I have started on a Charybdis for my Word Bearers. I need to get it done and so a couple arms, uh, some magnetized arms for some Terminators for the Michigan GT. So after I uh, get that stuff done for the Michigan GT, well, I got that stuff done, but I'll go on to work, you know, paint other stuff. But uh, during all that time, I also built a uh, bunch of models. So I built um, a bunch of bunch of tanks for my militia army for the online uh, escalation event. So I built a Bane Blade, um, two Lehman Russes three sentinels and then i built over a hundred infantry guys so these are the infantry guys that are kit bashed between the plastic chaos cultists um cadians the mad robot miniatures arms and the forge world uh Varax torso kits um i also build a militia commander and i converted some ogrens to be more chaos and then I've also built a – I keep building these word bearer lists, and I always find myself with, like, r- right at, like, 100 to 150 points. And I don't have, like, any models that fit there. So I built a 
single Predator chassis tank that I can take the, like, I can swap the top off for a Plasma Predator turret, a Scorpus Whirlwind turret, or a Damocles Rhino satellite dish. So I can take any of those three tanks. So I built that. Um, and I built, or I, I had an uh, two old Warhammer Fantasy armies, and I just recently started playing Kings of War. So I had to go in and change some things around so they made a little bit more sense with the Kings of War army list and rebase them and do some things like that. And while I was doing all this, I listened to Gav's new book. And that's pretty much what I've been doing hobby wise. That is so much work, dude. Like that, like blows everything I did out of the water. Like, <laughs> I, I just like a hundred models. Like really? Like what, where do you find the time, <laughs> man? Like, <laughs> well, it was just, those infantry guys. It's just something I just assembly line. Like I, I organize all the arms and I, I cause I wanted to build those guys where no two were the same. So I would, Ha- obviously you're going to have some of the same arms so i put each arm in its own pile and then like each torso type in its own pile and then each set of legs that are that match other legs in their own pile and i had them numbered so i could like go well th- i'm going to do a number five leg with a number three torso with a number two right arm and a number that way i could make sure that none of them repeated Get so the out of here. like yeah uh- like, did you have, like, a clipboard next to you? You're like, okay. Just a piece of paper, like, and I would just, like, do, like, come up with weird patterns. Like, I'll do five, three, four, because it was all random. You know what I mean? It doesn't really matter. Like, all the pieces fit. And um, so, yeah. So, I'm, like, I don't know. I went all serial killer on building my guys or something. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you there. That, is, that what... is very serial killer. That's, like, <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein shit. Like, it's like, I need the perfect people. No, none oh. can be the same. And uh, we were t- you made me you made me stop telling you this before the beginning because you wanted to get it recorded. So I put myself through a personal hobby challenge and also to answer the age old question like what one hundred percent is the worst uh, forge world model to build. So um, I kind of went over this on Eye of Horse a long time ago. I sent them in a letter that they read online. And in my top five, I had the old Chaos uh, chaos style Dreadclaw that they don't make anymore with all the like trim and the skulls and shit all over it. And the um, new style Anvilus. And they're both horrible, horrible, horrible models to build. Um, so I built them back to back. I had another, I built a second Chaos one. And then I had a newer style and uh anvilus so i built the chaos one for my word bearers and i built the anvilus for my salamanders so i sat down and i built one and then immediately built the other one and i can tell you that they both suck i can't really pick a winner um i think that the new style anvilus has to take the cake because it's newer and the old kit was shit and they knew it <laughs> And everybody complained about it. And I think that's one of the reasons they kind of went away from that design. So you would think that they would have improved the newer one so that it's not as bad, but it's still a nightmare to build. It's one of the worst things to build. I don't, I don't get it. The designer was like the same guy and he's like, Oh, y'all gonna, you want to talk shit about me? Okay. Okay. That's fine. No, talk shit. I'm going to make it just as hard. It's, it, it went better than the first one I built because like, 
I knew certain problems that would come into play. The first one I ever built, it, when you build the new style one, you have the thruster ring at the top, and you have to glue the fins and the doors to that. And there's like this little itty bitty overlap that you glue for these giant heavy ass pieces. And then they like free float and don't really fit together well. So you're trying to get glue on there. You're gluing shit to your finger. You're getting glue all over everything. You're making a mess. And about when you start making progress, something falls off of it or you squeeze something too hard while you're trying to apply pressure to get the glue to dry and it just like explodes in your hand. Um, it's terrible. It's, it's very, very, very much not very fun. And then even when you get it done, there's no, I don't think there's any possible way it actually goes together properly. Like when you look at it from the bottom, there's like these little side panels that go in, in each side of the drop pod. There's five of them and they're like the last things you glue on and they have the little hooks and some little thrusters and they're supposed to fit in between where the fins stick out and they're supposed to slot in where they're, they touch the side of each fin and then fit into the thruster ring. So they like, they're kind of the, the main piece that holds the door, the bottom and the fins and everything all together. And they either, when you put them in, they hit the fins and then don't, and they're not bottoming out. So there's like a gap between the door and the bottom, like where you can see through or they go all the way to the bottom and they hit the bottom and then they're not touching the fins. So it's, I don't know. Like it ends up like usually half the model is ends up green stuff to fill all the gaps in it. It's terrible. What's crazy is like, you know that this is not like the first, like the first run of that model. Like whenever it was in production, they made more and this was the best out of all of those that they made, all the all the prototype models. So those must have like been horrible. And I feel like who whatever guy they were like, hey, is this something that normal people can put together? He was just like so fucking tired of like putting them together. He's like, Yeah, fuck it, yeah, they're fine. Yeah, go for it. We'll, we'll release it. I know this is a little gripe, and actually it's one of the easier things on the model, but the fact that you they send you a dreadnought or a, a drop pod kit. And you have to cut the whole hinge part off the bottom yourself, like to make the actual panel for the side. So anytime you get a hobby kit and it's like put these pieces together and then get a hobby saw and cut right here to make this piece smaller. And it's not like you're cutting flash off. You're actually cutting whole parts of the model off to make it suit your need to build this other model out of. It's like an online. It's not like a real model kit. It's like a it's like. When you see a cool conversion online and you ask someone how they did it, that's kind of how the Anvilus is. It doesn't feel like an actual production model. It feels like some concoction that somebody made a, you know, made out a conversion and you're just doing some like, you know, non-GW official conversion of a model. I'd love to see a Forge World YouTube tutorial like from them and like just like see see it put together perfectly in front of my eyes. It's like this is how you, uh, who's that who's that one painter that game that Citadel has that he releases all those games workshop uh, painting tutorials online. Man, I can't remember his name now. We were just talking. about I don't that. know, man. Either way, just uh -huh. have have him like put together a a a, a, a dreadclaw an Anvilus dreadclaw in front of me on YouTube. Just like I just see how many times he doesn't say fuck. <laughs> So the the old one, I don't I mean most people probably are never going to build the old one just because, you know, it's not even in production anymore. You got to find 
find them on um, eBay. If somebody has one laying around. I had one given to me as a gift um, that the guy just had. Like he never built it, and it was laying in, in the bag, and he gave it to me as a gift. And what happened was I had that one, and then I'm building this new Charybdis that I'm painting for my word bears. So that left me with two drop pods. Well, you never want two drop pods. You always want an odd number of drop pods. So I needed a third drop pod. Well, I have this old Chaos one. I didn't want to throw in the new one and it not match. So I had to find one of the old Chaos ones. So I got one and built it. So the trick to it is the whole, it's hard to describe. Um, I could show it to you in you know, I don't know. It's more of a visual thing, but you can kind of picture it uh, in your head uh, if you had one laying in front of you. So the whole of that thing is made up of four pieces that are just mirror images of each other. It's the same piece. And when you take two of them and glue them together, the channel, there's only four legs on that one instead of five. And the four legs, they fit into channels that when you glue two, glue, glue two of those whole pieces together, they form one channel. So the, the trick to that is, as you glue the two pieces together, you also have to put the leg in there, which the legs on that one actually go up and down, like the Charybdis, even though it's only like an Anvilus-style pod, right. where the new Anvilus, the legs are, don't move. So you have to kind of take one piece, put the leg in there where it's free-floating, and then put the other piece in there, and then you're supposed to hold it till the glue dries, and then when the two halves dry the leg should still move up and down. So, and then, then you have to do, then you do that to the other half and then you glue those two halves together while trying to hold two legs in place. So this is kind of a nightmare when you think about, well, I got to hold this leg and glue this. And then the problem is where the glue, where the two, where the sides glue together, the, the surface area to glue it together is almost non-existent for as big a pieces as you're working with. So the glue never holds. So what ends up happening, you glue two halves and get a leg in there, and as soon as you pick it up to put the other like parts on it, it starts falling apart. So what you have to do is you turn them over where you're looking at the like, it'd be the, what would be the inside of the pod, and you take the four whole pieces and you number them. You just number one, two, three, like just write on them with a black magic marker. And then you take number one and number two and you fit them together like they're going to fit together. But where you're looking at them like what would be what's going to be the inside of the pod. And you just take the black marker and do a line somewhere near the top. It doesn't where it, it goes from one piece to the other. So you can once the pieces are lined up and then you do the same thing at the bottom. And then you take number two and number three and do the same thing. And then number three and number four and do the same thing. And then number four and number one and do the same thing. So then what you do you take piece number one and where the, the one part of the mark is, you go to the side and you drill a pin and you put a pin there and you do the same thing at the bottom and then you do the same thing on number two. So the no matter where you mark those lines, it should line up with the piece that's going to go next to it, if you get what I'm saying. So you put pins in there where it'll dry fit together without glue and the pins will hold it in place temporarily without actually having glue on it but where it still holds it. So what you do is you get the legs and you get all that and you just push it together with pins where it's all one um, piece without any glue on it and it should still be pretty stable because the pins are holding it in place. And then you turn it where it looks like a funnel because it's bigger at one end and smaller at the other end. And you just put a paper towel underneath it and then turn it where it looks like, like I said, a funnel where the big end's at the top 
and then you just take glue and drip it down the seam where it runs down the entire seam on the inside on all four of them and let it dry. My so you're not you're so you're not trying to like put glue on two pieces and it's all over your hands and you're trying to fit it together and then it falls apart and all that like you ha- you get it staged that way and then once that part dries that whole central part that's like the four whole sides and the legs then all you have to do is glue the 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 end on the big end on and then the small end on like the thruster thing it's like a cap to cap the two holes and then all that bullshit you did to it the rods the marker markings all the glue that's like ran down and looks like ass on the inside, you don't see it anyway because it's all on the inside. That is like so much work, but I, I bet somebody out there is going to listen to this and be like, wow, I, <laughs> that is, I, <laughs> I can finally put that model together that's been sitting on my shelf for the last 13 years. <laughs> well, it's one of those things like when I got, I knew because everybody said, this thing's a nightmare. And the guy that gave it to me as a gift, he had built one. He had three. He owns three of them. One is built, and two were still in bags. And he gave me one as a gift. And he laughed because it was a joke. He wanted to give me a gift, but the gift was a joke because my salamander army, which you've seen, is an all-drop pod army. Yeah. So for for just for that army, I own three dreadnought drop pods, eight normal plastic drop pods, a uh, two... Anvilus, Dreadclaws, and a Charybdis. And I built and painted all that um, back to back to back to back to back, which is like, uh, I can't even tell you how, like, like, it's total hell. Like, I'd rather, like, stab myself. Like, if my house burned down and those models burnt down, I'd never, like, with the house, it's not getting redone ever again. I just can't can't bring myself to do it. Um, When people talk about, oh, this sucks or the, like, Oh, you have to paint a hundred militia guys. That's really going to suck. I always just think back to, well, I painted like 10, I built and painted like 10 drop pods back to back to back to back interiors and all there's nothing like that's the, I've, I've went through the fire and came out on the other side with my sanity unbroken. So I can do anything now. That's how I look at it. <laughs> so the joke was I'd done all that. That as a gift, he gave me another drop pod, supposedly, which was the hardest one in the history of drop pods to build. As a, as a like, haha, here you go, here's a gift, but guess what it is? So I knew it was supposed to be a pain in the ass. So before I built the first one, I literally took it apart, cleaned all the pieces, and really honestly just stared at it for like an hour, examining the pieces, and came up with a battle plan in my head of how am I going to build this model? I where just like, I just see that like drop pod like whispering to you in your head, I will break you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's time consuming to do that, but I mean, there's nothing. I'm not doing anything difficult. It's literally like hold two pieces together where they're supposed to go. Now draw a line where it goes off one piece onto the other, so that you can you know when you fit them back up, that line you know continues from piece to piece. That you do that on all of them, and then you go through and put some pins in them. And then you just fit, dry fit it all together with the legs in there and then run glue down the seams. So it's not that hard. It is more time consuming, I guess. I, I don't think it's more time consuming because if you just try to glue it together without doing any of that, it's going to fall apart so many fucking times you're going to lose your mind. And the model's going to be a mess when you get it done anyway because you're going to have fingerprints all over the outside of it where your skin is stuck to it and everything else. So I just saved myself the headache and 
you know, took a little longer to build it, but it, it comes out looking much nicer and it's not near as frustrating. Mm. Kudos to you, dude. That's work. And yeah. on top of everything else you also accomplished in this short yeah. amount of time. The other things were easy other than gluing the nine trillion spikes I have on all my militia tanks on all my militia tanks. God. So that sounds like that sounds like something you make a prisoner do in a like some sort of dark prison somewhere like or a sweatshop worker. Yeah. Well, the spikes, because if you what I did is I don't like the, the spike rails that come in the standard like if you just buy a chaos space marine rhino or land raider you get those like the spiky bit sprue but they're they look like fences with just spikes on them so when you glue those on a tank you just have like this weird fence with spikes on it i've never <laughs> liked that look so i made my tanks i wanted them to look like really like just mad max like real just nasty looking tanks so my idea was you take a tank and I build it like normal. I just build like you would build a Lehman Russ. And then I take a drill with a really small drill bit. I can't, I forget what it is. I think it's like one thirty second drill bit or something. Um, don't hold me to that. I don't remember the size. And I just randomly drill holes in this tank all over the tank. And what I do is those spikes on those rails, I clip the spike off where it's just the tip of the spike. And then there's like a little bit of a rod that's smaller than the actual spike, you know, underneath it. So I clip it off where you get like, I don't know, a centimeter or a couple centimeters of that rod and then the spike on the end. So then when you put then you put glue on the rod part and then the rod slips into the hole that you've drilled, but the spike is too big. So then that part, you know, it hits the actual hole and stops. But the reason you do that instead of just trying to glue spikes on it, if you just take the spike with no rod on it and it's not like actually put into the model and you just glue a spike on a tank. Anytime you touch it, look at it funny, drop it, pick it up. Your, talk, your hands, talk about it, anything. <laughs> yeah, the spikes are going to be falling off everywhere. So that's a way to where they're actually like, they almost become part of the tank. Because it's a plastic tank, you're putting plastic spikes on there, you use the plastic cement. You're literally drilling a hole and like counter-seeking the spike into it where it's, you know, it's never going to come off once you put paint on there. You really have to put your thumb on it and like break it off. I can't wait but, until like uh, you know in like seventy or eighty years or like no probably like fifty years when uh like there's like this like plastic that you just like electrically charge and it can turn into whatever shape you want or something like that that you like put in a computer and you're gonna be that like crazy old man. It's like in my day I pinned every spike on my tank. <laughs> yeah, I, just... I, I walked to school uphill both ways, carrying or walked. Walk to and from school uphill both ways, even though that's impossible, <laughs> and and carried a hot potato in my hands on the way to school to keep my hands warm. And then when I got to school, had a cold potato for lunch. Did you ever hear that story from no, your grandparents? I never got the cold <laughs> potato story. <laughs> that's that's how they they told you that you were a puss and they were tough. That's right. They so, were much tougher. Just like we'll yeah. be so much more tougher than the future modelers. Yeah. Maybe but anyway, that was the only time-consuming stuff. The rest of it wasn't too bad. You're talking just, you know, glue tanks together, whatever, typical stuff. I hear you, dude. That's a lot more than I got done. What'd you get done? Uh, Well, dude, I went, like, hobby-building mania on my Mechanicum. So, I mean, 
I got a bunch of uh, Domitars put together, and I converted over one of the Domitars to the Arlatax. I don't know if he, I, saw, I showed you that. Yeah, uh, it looks pretty rad. It's the one with like the like the tentacles from the for or Mauler fiend. Uh, it's Puppets War, actually. The 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 tentacles, okay. the tentacles, the jetpack, and his claw are all from Puppets War. And okay, because I had multiple Domitars, I have. Uh, I have four Domitars altogether, and so I only use the missile launcher, uh, missile launcher backs on them instead of the flat backs. So I trim those up to make like giant like fins on the on the thrusters, and so yeah, I, I converted up that big old Arla tax, and uh, I put those Domitars together, put some some Vorax together, and the the most time consuming thing that I think I did was I finally got those uh, bits Pudlo. I don't know, some some Polish company made these dragon skull bits. Uh and so I had to cut these dragon skulls in half and then trim off the front visor for the Thalax so I can glue those uh glue those dragon skulls and like the dragon skulls just like for some reason the top half just like would break in half every time. So I would have to like Were they were those the ones from Tabletop EU? Uh, I don't know. It's like Bits Pudlow, I think is what it was called. Okay, well, the tabletop place that I get my Warbear candles, they have, like, some skulls, some packs of skulls. Because I use some for... I made a a Chapter Master Tushan model for my Salamanders a while back, and his pauldrons on his armor are supposed to be Drake skulls. So I bought some of theirs, um, like, little... They look like, they look like the Saurus Warriors from Fantasy... Uh, lizard man heads but like a skull form i took some of those and hollowed them out and made shoulder pads but anyway so but these are from a different company you say yeah it's called it's called bits Pudlo or bits puddlos i don't know some ebay store from, okay from poland uh but yeah man i completely went through and i broke down and glued all those on my thalax and like they look pretty gnarly it's just dude, it was so time consuming to get that shit done uh and then you know like it kind of sucks because, you know, I, I the only reason I'm working on Mechanicum or my Dark Mechanicum is for the Escalation. And so with my Escalation army, June, I already had all my points. And so uh, coming up July is when it's going to move up to 1,000. And so because I had knocked out my 500 points, I was like, okay, let me get my July prepped. And then as a reward... I'll get to work on my blood angels. <laughs> so I have been working on my blood angels again, my uh, my dreadnought army. Uh, I got those two uh, ironclad Mark IV dreads. Yep. And so those came in, got those put together. I mean, like same day, just like cleaned them up, washed them, uh, got them built. Both of them built like within like an hour of each other. They look so much better <laughs> than the, the Mark V, like, cast a ferrum dread that games workshop has so got those put together man and so those are actually the first stage of the red process that you uh you taught me there the the corn red they got that corn red base coat on them and then yep so they're they're waiting for their mephestin red but like i'm super stoked to paint those up uh but you know i've i think we're like july's coming up on us so i gotta you know put them back away uh, so 
I'm waiting to go to Adepticon next year, and there's like six Blood Angel armies there, and four of them look just like yours and mine. Because I put that paint formula, I can't tell you how many places people keep asking me about it. And you know how I am. I'm not going to like lie to somebody. Like, I don't care. You know, I throw it out there. So the Blood Angel 30K Facebook page, I've been asked a couple times. The Texas, your, the South Texas Heresy page, I've been asked. And I believe on Reddit, I was asked. And I believe on Crusade and Heresy, I was asked how to do the red. Dude, so. it, it's such a. The only complaint that I've gotten on it was that it's too clean. The, like they, like every once in a while somebody will be like you need to you need to weather that up or do some you know do some sponge work on it and I'm like no man like this is like these are dreadnoughts like they they like if they're waking up and if they're getting woke up they already got their fresh paint job months <laughs> ago you know like you leave them alone well I get it. I mean it's it's one of those things like it's kind of funny it, you always envy what you can't do or don't have you know what I mean I guess yeah. Like that's kind of like human nature. So I've just I've never really tried to learn how to weather anything. So I look at these like a lot of heresy stuff. It's kind of the theme, you know what I mean? Like most people's heresy armies have weathering on them. It's kind of like a heresy thing. They paint them like historical models, like realistic, I guess. So I've always had this real clean painting style. So I paint all my stuff really clean, and when I go to these events, a lot of guys have their stuff weather. So it's really just a difference of opinion. I mean, skill-wise, it takes skill to do, you know, either or. And there's people that are fans of one that aren't fans of the other. Because I know people who, there's some people that paint real clean like I do, that if you if they see a model with tons of weathering or sponge work or people have taken oils and let them run down and all that, they think that that's like hacky bullshit. They're like, they'll, t- they'll straight tell you, this is just a person who can't paint and they do all this crap to it to cover up the fact that they can't actually paint. It's stupid. Like, this guy has no... And I'm like, no, it's just different. You know, I'm not like that. Like, I paint really clean, but I understand and recognize the talent that it takes to, you know, to get that other look. You know what I mean? And I actually want to learn how to do that at some point. It's just, my armies, like, I've... I I started doing them a certain way, so trying to learn this new weathering technique, it's not like I'm going to start doing it halfway through my Blood Angel army. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah. so the next army I do, like the next trader army I do for – because I have two loyalist marine armies and one trader army. I've already made up my mind in my head that – made up my mind in my head. That's where your mind's at. Yeah, that's um, a good place for it. <laughs> that's where I keep mine when it's not in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I've made up my mind to learn – how to weather stuff and what the next army I do, the next, uh, uh, Legion army I do, I want to do all weathered up and learn how to do that and make that my army to practice and learn that on. Cause my word bear, I was never very good at like freehand. So my, my, to learn that I did my word bearers and I made sure that I put freehand on every model and I can show you the first model I did and I can show you the last model I did and you can see how much better I got. So I like doing projects, like picking a point, like picking something you're weak at or you're not very good at and coming up with a project that you're going to have to do a lot of it, like with that project and just go to town on it and get really good at it over the course of it. So like if you suck at decals, pick an army that you're going to have to do a lot of decals, like knights, 
Imperial Knights or something like that and just, you know, figure out how to do decals. And by the time you get done with it, you've learned this whole new skill. And then going forward, when you start a new army, you can just keep building, building, and adding to your hobby repertoire of things you can do. That's how I look at it. That's how I learn new stuff. Dude, that's exactly what I did with these Blood Angels. Like, I was like, I'm going to learn how to properly edge highlight and how to paint this, like, clean as red. And then, like, it's so exciting to me to, like, get these suckers <laughs> painted up, dude. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm so excited to get these ironclads done. And it, another thing that's, I, you know, just going forward, I have an order that I placed for seven Dreadnought Drop Pods and <laughs> one more Leviathan for the list. And then my, my entire list will be done. And all I keep thinking is, like, I'm, like, super excited not to, like, necessarily, like, paint these Dreadnought Drop Pods because I know it's going to suck ass to get, like, that many, like, over and over and over again. Like, I'm going to have to, like, line paint the whole thing. But in my head, I just keep thinking, like, what the final result's going to look like. All these, like, brightly colored red, like, Dreadnought Drop Pods sitting in front of me, like, just clean and oh, just so stoked for it. It'll look good. I will tell you that painting drop, Dreadnought Drop Pods go about twice as fast as painting a standard Drop Pod. Oh, well, that's good. You wouldn't think so, because people always look at a normal Drop Pod and think, well, that doesn't take that long to paint. It's like the same size as a Rhino. It's like, well, the problem is you paint, if you paint the interior... You're literally painting all four sides of every piece on that godforsaken model. <laughs> if you think about it, think, because it's like, oh, here's a door. Well, you're painting the front of the door, the back of the door, and the end of the door, and both sides of the door. Because it's a three-dimensional object that you have to paint 360 degree all the way around because you're going to see it, whether it's open, closed, whatever. And you have to do that with every stinking piece on that entire model. Hmm. So the actual surface area you paint is probably four to five times more than a rhino because a rhino is just a box that you're painting, you know, what? Because you don't paint the bottom. Most people don't. Well, I don't. I don't. Um, <laughs> so you're painting the two sides, the top, the front, and the back. Well, the drop pod, you have to do that, but to every piece. Oh, God. It's going to... I'm not too worried about it. I'm probably going to consult with you whenever I get it in to see like what the best way to paint the interior metal is. So we'll, when, we'll, we'll cross that. Well, I'll tell right you how I did it. I, um, the way I did mine is like the, the, the easiest way to do it is I just laid all the pieces out that like the bottom um, and you, you prime the whole model black and then I just took silver spray paint. You get the plate mail from Army Painter or get the what the GW color, the lead belcher spray paint or whatever. Yeah. And just spray paint it. And then I know like people like MKA and professional painters are going to scream at me and they're probably throwing stuff when I say this. But then I just take Nolan oil and wash it and it looks <laughs> fine. Just dip it. Just use the Army Painter dip. You could probably do that too. Um, but then you, then you just paint your details on it. I mean it's just the interior. You know what I mean? It, it, you can – you can get fancy with it. I mean, on mine, I did a little more than that. Like that was just the silver base coat. And then some of the other panels, I painted like different shades of metallic and, you know, put some different washes and stuff on them. But it's pretty easy. The Dreadnought one's easy because there's no guts to it, really. It's just four doors with a big open cavity in the middle. There's not even a gun. That's uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. Like it, it doesn't seem too, too terrible. 
But like I said, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. So, yeah, like I said, it, it's it's really not too bad. It, it uh, you'll you'll get it. The dreadnought, like I said, the dreadnought drop pod's not bad. The normal ones uh, are way worse to paint. Yeah, then I'm gonna have to find some sort of brass etch for those guys because they gotta have some Blood Angels livery on them. Um, I just like if you get the storm, the plastic Storm Raven from 40k, yep. and the Ball Predator kit from 40k, and the new plastic Terminator kits and tactical kits come with all kinds of plastic Blood Angel bits. You can get those on eBay all day, all day long for cheap. All kinds of icons, all kinds of whatever. That's how I did all my Blood Angel tanks. Is I decorated them with stuff from the the Storm Raven and the Ball Predator, and I just put it on even my Demios pattern stuff. Heck yeah, dude. I'm going to have to try that out. I'm going to go out and find me some Blood Angels livery. It's pretty I easy. Mean, they make these, like, chalices with blood drops coming off on, onto the top of them. They make um, these ones that have, like, the actual, like, Blood Angel logo, but the cool thing is it actually looks like the 30K logo versus the 40K one. It's got, like, the actual wings, like, with mm, the feathers. Love it. They make that. Um, they make, they make two different versions of that. One's like in a circle. It's like a gold circle with a ribbon underneath it. And then one is just the logo with the wings itself. Um, there's another, the chalice, that one. What's the other one? There's another, there's the third one I'm missing because I did, I have three predator squadrons and I did a different symbol on each one. Anyway, there's another, another blood angel style symbol. Oh, I know what it, it's the actual. There's like one that's like a whole, like archangel looking dude in a robe, like holding uh, a small chalice. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. that one. There's all. There's all kinds of crap in there. Uh, that's Blood Angel specific, and all those new uh, plastic kits for 40k. You can find those. There's a guy on eBay. I think Win Window Box Games is his eBay store, and you'll know because all of his pictures on eBay. You know those uh like benches like a, a generic like park bench that you'll set outside they're just made of wood um that have like the top and the bench seats all built into one with like a-frames on the side all of his pictures are just his bits laying on top of like a wood surface that just looks like a, a park bench like that that he's taken from the top so if you see that in the background that's all window box games he's the far and away the best bit speller or speller <laughs> I can't talk today. Bits seller that I've ever found on eBay. He's super cheap. Um, he's usually cheaper than everybody. He combines all of his shipping, and you'll get your stuff like incredibly fast. And I don't know this guy. It's pretty funny because I've sent him several eBay messages just thanking him for being awesome. I don't think he's ever responded, but like when somebody does a really good job, I like to let them know. So about like every third or fourth time I order from him. And it's been perfect every time. I can, I've ordered, I've probably ordered from him well over a hundred times over the course of you know years and years. He's never screwed anything up. I've always gotten it in three or four days after ordering it. Um, his prices are usually the cheapest. He, you know, he combines shipping. He's amazing. So look for him on eBay if you need bits. For what a good like guy. <laughs> He's awesome. Man, I want to go shake his hand. I gotta go. Yeah. Me too. I'm going to tell him Ryan Kimmel sent me. He's a pillar of the hobby community. He probably doesn't even play. Yeah, dude, he's just making making that cheddar. Making money, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, man, that's what I've been working on. 
a little bit of a little bit of Blood Angels, a little bit of Mechanicum, dude. Let's let's get into that game you played. Like, like I'm so interested in the list you're running, just because it, it's you made it sound so cool and so like versatile. And I just want to know, did like did the plans work out? Where of the plans of mice and men? Like how, how did how did it go down? Okay, well it did work out. I did. We'll just spoil the ending right now, and just, I'll tell you I won. Now. The weird thing about it, though, I was playing against a very non-conventional list, so it's not really a good judge, I don't think, of what the the list can do, just solely because I, I was playing a militia list, which are kind of weird. You can build militia lists in you know, all kinds of odd ways, and this one was pretty strange I was playing against. And also, the, the version of the list I'm playing right now is not the final version that I'm building towards. I, cause I don't, I refuse to play models that aren't painted. So I have probably half the stuff that I actually want to use painted. And then the other stuff is just kind of throw into the list to still fit the theme, but it's stuff that I already have painted and I feel fine with running in this list. So the list that I'm running now that is, like I said, temporary as I paint things. It's a Blood Angel Armored Breakthrough list. So it's kind of a tricky list to build because to run Armored Breakthrough, you're, you take that so you can take Predators as troops, and Predators must be compulsory. your two compulsory troops choices. And then if you take anything that's the infantry type, they must be put in a transport. They must be transported um in a vehicle with the tank type so you either have to buy them a dedicated transport with the tank type or find or buy a transport as a separate option to put them in so uh like if you took a tactical squad you could either buy the rhino form or buy a separate land raider in another slot and put them in it either way would would work now the problem with it is blood angels in their legion drawbacks, like, you know, your generic legion rules, they have a rule where you can't have more tank units. That's the important word is unit. Cause it's not tank model. It's tank units. So when you take a squadron, there's still one unit, but it's tank units. You can't have more tank units than, uh, units with the legion Astartes rule. So you have this weird, combination where you're forced to take tanks you want to take tanks you're trying to build a tank army but for every tank unit you take you still have to take infantry which then also has to be in more tanks <laughs> so it's this weird pretty hard to build uh thing that you have to strike this weird balance and the main problem is like when you get near the end of the list and you want to add something in it's like oh i have 150 points i want to add in you know, uh, one more predator. Well, you can't because you're out. You can't add another one because that would put you over the amount of Legion of Stardis units you have. So you're like, well, I'll just do another infantry unit. So you go to put it in, and then you're like, oh, well, now I have to have a transport to put it in. So, and I don't have points for it. So it's weird. You have to like really be careful how you build the list to make sure the points work out. So anyway, that w- I went on a long rant there, but um, I, I know the pain, dude. Right, me and you worked on this with your dreadnought. Your old dreadnought. Yep. So it's kind of similar. Got to do similar things with that. But anyway, so my list right now um, is a. I got a Praetor on bike, 
So the cool thing about putting stuff on bike in, a, in an armored breakthrough list is the armored breakthrough drawbacks just state, you know, anything with the infantry type, you know, must be this, that, the other. Well, when you put something on a bike, it's no longer infantry, it's bike. So it doesn't fall within the stipulations. So you can take them to your heart's content and not have to worry about, you know, uh, buying transports or whatever for them. So I take a Praetor on bike, a standard uh, Outrider style bike. I give him the Blade of Perdition because it's totally awesome. He automatically comes with Artificer armor. Um, I give him an Iron Halo and digital lasers to get extra attacks for that awesome Blade of Perdition. And that's pretty much it. And... So he's the he's got the Master of the Legion rules, so he allows you to take Armored Breakthrough. So then for troops, I'm taking a um, Predator Squadron with two Predators in it. And each of those Predators has the Predator Cannon Turret, and then they uh, both have Assault Cannon Sponsons. And that's one unit. And then for another troop unit, I just take a single Predator that's armed the same way, uh, a Predator Cannon Turret with Assault Cannon Sponsons. And then I have, for a third troop choice, a third, or just a, 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 a what's well, a fourth Predator, but a third squadron of a single Predator armed the same way, uh, Sponson, uh, Assault Cannon Sponsons, Predator Cannon Turret. And then I have a fourth and fifth troop choice that are both just... Uh, 10-man tactical squads, just your standard tactical squad, and they are both in rhinos, and the rhinos have pintle-mounted assault cannons. Yeah. And then for elite, I have a Sakaran battle tank with uh, las cannons on it, no other upgrades. Uh, then for fast attack, I have five attack bikes that all have assault cannons. And then I have a second fast attack choice that is a full, is this a 10? It's a nine. It's nine outriders. And three of them have power axes. And then the sergeant has a power axe. And then they all have melt bombs. And then I have a third fast attack choice that's another nine man outrider squad that's armed the exact same way. So sergeant, four power axes, all melt bombs. And then for heavy support, I have a Fire Raptor gunship with four hell strikes and the autocannon uh, turrets on the side, and a Whirlwind Scorpus is my second heavy support choice, and that's 2,500 points. Wow. So I have, getting back to the uh, tanks versus Legion Astartes, so for Legion Astartes, I have the Praetor, the two 10-man tactical units, the attack bikes, and two outrider squads. So I have one, two, I have six. So that allows me to take six um, units that, or six vehicle, you know, tank, vehicle units. So I have three Predator squadrons, so that's three. I have a Sakaran, which is four, and then I have the Scorpus, which is five, and then I have the Fire Raptor, which is six. So I'm even, which is good. So... The rhinos that go with the tactical squads don't count because in the Blood Angel rule, you don't count dedicated transports to, towards the vehicle units. 
So this list, um, as far as I know, is perfectly legal. So that's my list. That's what I've been uh, trying out, and I hadn't played it yet, and um, you know wanted to get a game in. So I ended up playing against a guy doing a militia army, and he picked the two providences for his militia. He picked Survivors of the Dark Age, which adds plus one to all your armor saves and allows you for certain guns to buy a point of strength on them. So I think Laz guns, Laz rifles, Laz locks, and what's the little mini gun? The rotor cannon. Rotor, yeah. Rotor yeah. Cannon. You can buy all those up to strength four. Um, and then he took the, what's the one that makes you battle brothers with Mechanicum? Do you remember the name of that one? Mm, I don't. It's yeah. okay, there's a, he took the other, I don't know the name of the Providence, but the ability that it gives you, it gives you a six plus invulnerable save. If you already have an invul save that increases it by one to a max of a three plus, um, and makes you battle brothers with um mechanicum if you want to take mechanicum allies and i believe that's it so the thing is he took like he has a hundred grenadiers in his army jesus so grenadiers start with a four plus save which increases to a three plus save so he has a bunch of three plus save guys like a bunch like a hundred of them and then they all have a six plus invulnerable save and then he bought an apop the little medics that militia can take. He bought one for every squad. That so he had a brutal. So he had a hundred grenadiers that had a three up armor, five up feel no pain with a six up invul. And we're playing on a board that's got a ton of four plus ruin cover safe. So they're all getting four plus cover on top of it. And the thing is, when you buy these Grenadier guys, because when you buy those Providences, it's like an army-wide thing for a single points cost, he's essentially paying, like, I think eight points a piece or something for these Grenadiers. So he's essentially getting a guy with a three-up armor save, a strength four last gun, because he's buying the last gun upgrade and all that. So they're essentially Space Marines with a slightly crappier weapon skill, strength, and toughness for, like, a third of the points. Mm. So he had, I think, two normal Lehman Russes, two Vanquishers, a uh, hundred of those Grenadier guys, a five-man Laz Cannon team of like the infantry, the you know like where you get the heavy weapon teams, yeah, uh, the bases. So he's got five, five, a squad of five Laz Cannons, another squad of five Laz Cannons, and. You know, the militia commander guy, he had some sentinels with last cannons that were outflanking. He may have had more stuff. I don't know. He had so much stuff. But you got you get the idea. So anyway, I thought, well, this will be a good test because this is like I have all these assault cannons or whatever. Everybody's whining online about how OP this assault cannon spam is. So, like, this will be a good test of it. You know, I got all these guys. You know, this is simulating shooting hordes of power armor guys. Let's just see if I shoot them off the table, right? Yeah. So I get the, I roll to go first. I get to go first. So I roll up. I unload. 
the four troop predators. So that's what eight eight assault cannons and four predator cannons. Uh, both rhinos, which each have an assault cannon on them, and then combi bolters. My entire attack bike squad, which is five more assault cannons, and uh, my Sakaran into one five-man last cannon team and kill three or four bases of guys. Like, so three or four models. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is super, uh, super OP. So then I fire my Scorpus Whirlwind, 115-point Scorpus Whirlwind, at the other five-man squad, kill the whole thing. No problem. Just remove that shit. Um, because they're not getting cover because it's a barrage, so it's shooting over the wall that they're behind. It's strength eight, so it's removing whole bases of guys because it's doubling them out. Wouldn't the assault cannon have doubled them out too? It does, but it's not ignoring their cover, and oh. they're getting, you know, what I, like he just made a bunch of three ups. So because they get their armor save against that, you know what I'm saying? Unless I roll a rend, and then when I rolled the rend, he was just defaulting to a four up cover. Yep. Where the Scorpus, I could essentially ignore cover unless he's actually standing in area, and because it's just straight AP3 and instant death, he's just picking up bases. Yeah. So the Scorpus killed, like, essentially the same amount of stuff as the rest of my army shooting at it. So I killed essentially both his last cannon teams, um, turn one, and that was pretty much it. So then on his turn... um, he shoots the vanquishers at some stuff. I think he, because they're only ballistic skill three, I think he missed with one. I think he hit with one and scored a pin. And I thought he, what he shot like my Scorpion or my, um, damn it, the Sakaran with it. And I think he basically just stunned it or whatever. Um, he shot a bunch of my bikes my outriders just said they had scouted and moved up. So he, he killed, killed like most of one of my outrider squads. I think I had like three guys left. The other one, he killed like a member out of, and then that was pretty much it. Cause he's just got a bunch of guys with like, you know, strength four guns. So he really can't shoot at my tanks with them. So, um, and then he put his sentinels in reserve. They were outflanking. He had two squads of three sentinels with last cannons. Those were in reserve. So then on my turn, again, you know, I roll up. I, I'm getting my armor a little closer. So the thing that hit really hard this turn was my Outriders were able to assault. So I had one Outrider squad that was severely dwindled down, and I was originally trying to go after his Lehman Russes with him, but he had him screened with a bunch of those Grenadiers. So I sent, like, three Outriders to assault into these Grenadiers. And then on the other flank, I was able to skirt around his bubble of grenadiers and actually assault the uh, vanquishers with all those with the other outrider squad with all the melt bombs in it and my attack bike squad oh they all had melt bombs uh with my praetor as well so with that squad i rolled up with that up the middle um he had his a big grenadier squad with his uh lord commander and all that in there so I shot all the assault cannons off that squad into those guys and then assaulted them. And then my predators, you know, they just were shooting at all these grenadiers because he's got, like I said, 100 guys with essentially power armor running around. So 
once again, I shot all these assault cannon shots, but because he's getting three up saves, you know what I mean? Like only one in, like I have to roll to hit. Then after I rolled a hit, I rolled a wound, which, you know, you still roll some ones in there. But when you rolled a wound, only one, one in six rolls when you rolled a wound is a six to actually just kill a guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then other than that, he's getting his armor save. It's not like a low AP weapon. So they just weren't as effective as I, I thought. For all the internet whining that I've seen from putting pictures of my stuff up, it's not at all justified, in my opinion. And then once again, it was funny, every time I fired the Scorpus Whirlwind, he's losing like half, like he had another squad come in from reserve and it had to kind of be clumped up because he's got just so many models on the table. You can imagine with all this militia, he can't keep them spaced. So I would like fire the Scorpus Whirlwind and kill like 15 dudes with this 115 point tank. And then I would shoot like a thousand points worth of models with assault cannons into shit and kill like six guys. So, I what was funny it was in the in this particular battle, the Scorpus Whirlwind and the Outriders and the Praetor in close combat probably killed seventy five percent of his army. Wow! So like so, not even the OP assault cannons. Well, I don't think they're OP for one, but yes, and I mean I wasn't. How many did I? How many is that? So there's like. There's eight on the Predators, five on the attack bike, so that's 13. Um, and then a two on the... I think I had 15 in the army, something like that. Um, I don't know. They, they didn't kill... They honestly didn't kill that much stuff. Now, I mean, I don't think I like necessarily rolled bad... I don't think I like rolled super good, but I'm, I rolled pre, you know, pretty much average. So like when you'd score 12 hit with assault cannons, you roll... You know, you actually get two rins. But the he was smart enough to keep his guys in cover, so even when I was getting the rins, it was just taking him to a three-up to a four-up. You know what I'm saying? So, and they're they're not that long a range. So I found, a, even on the fast tanks, because we got the deployment that was, um, I forget, I think it's called, it's the one where you're like, I have a corner and you have the opposite corner, like the angled one. Yeah. So it's not quite hammer and anvil, but you're still pretty far apart. And he had his stuff sitting back there. And I had so many tanks and crap, and there were so many buildings and stuff on the table. A lot of times I found I would kill stuff and then not be within range um, of the assault cannons because they only shoot 24 inches. So, so you had to book it. Book it, which is fine because they're fast tanks. That's the cool thing about Armor Breakthrough. It does make them fast. But I actually I found that I, I, I always thought like the Predator cannon – I would just I was never really like I just wasn't like super impressed with it. You know what I mean? I'm like, ah, eh, it's drink seven, AP four, four shots, who really cares? I actually gained, you know, a lot of respect for it in this battle because it it shoots so far and with that strength seven, um, at one point I was able to get in the side arc of his one of his rust squadrons and um, you know, put some hole points on him with uh with my stuff and there was a the turn that his sentinels came in, which is his second turn. Um, he came in and I think he stunned one of my predators or blew it up or something, and then uh, shot with the other one and missed with two of the three, and the other one like rolled a one or something, didn't really do anything. I spun those predators around, and when you shoot, uh, that is the one thing the assault cannons were really good at when I shot those sentinels because they're 
you're getting, you know, four strength, six shots off the Sponsons and then the Predator cannon that will shred like an armor 10 vehicle squadron. All day. You know, no problem. So he had these two Sentinel squads that like came on and like shot a couple laser beams and then just got mowed down by all those Predators. It was ugly. So, I mean, that was pretty much the game. I mean, once I got that assault off, I got my Outriders actually into his guys. Uh, once I killed, because I killed those Vanquishers with the one squad and then assaulted into another big squad of Grenadiers with the uh, the attack bikes and the Blade of Perdition Praetor. I mean, once that Blade of Perdition Praetor gets into militia dudes, you know, he's going to kill a slew of them. Because each wound does, so he's like, he's hitting on threes and then... They're only tough three, so he would normally wound on a three, but because he's Blood Angel, it wounds on a two. And then I rolled the Warlord trait where you get to re-roll ones to wound for the entire unit. So I, the first time I charged in, I hit with all the attacks and then rolled a wound and wound with all of them. So I do six wounds, which goes to 12. So I'm like, well, here's 12 AP, two wounds at initiative five. So... Swish. Yeah. Swish, <laughs> like, like cutting grass, dude. Like tri- so, trimming weeds. It was that that was pretty ugly. Um, then he had the like I said, his second turn he got to bring his sentinels in, and he still had quite a few guys that weren't tied up that he got to shoot at me. Um, but once again, I was like my stuff with toughness value was tied up in combat or like in his face, and a lot of that infantry can't really hurt my tanks without assaulting them because they you know they have crack grenades, so if I get too close, they can hurt me because I'm only armor ten on the back. So I just tried to stay in that sweet spot where he couldn't move up and assault me, but I could still shoot him. So on my third turn, I was able to, you know, really start assaulting things. And the thing, when I started hitting those guys in assault with the Outriders and the Praetor, you know, I would win combat by six or seven or more and then just sweep the whole unit. So I was able just to remove all those units of power armored guys that way instead of trying to shoot at them. And that's what really turned the tide. You suck at combat, and you should feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Run, run them over with bikes and shit. So, going back to list construction, I'm glad that, like, the Blood Angel the Blood Angel drawback, I guess, actually, in my opinion, saves this list, in a way. Because if I would have, like, run a traditional armored breakthrough list, where I just have to shoot all that stuff dead... I'd have never been able to do it. He just would have sat in four plus cover all day and I would have plinked off, you know, three or four guys a turn or whatever from each unit. And that would have been that where having that fast moving assault element with the outriders and the Praetor in there allowed me to, you know, get in there and dig those guys out a lot easier. But, and then, like I said, the other thing, it cracks me up all the internet whining about assault cannons um, I don't even really know what to say about it because I swear to you, my 115 point Scorpus killed like three times as much stuff as all those assault cannons added together. And I play in a club where almost everybody here runs multiple quad mortars. And I can tell you right now that that's way more effective at killing like whole squads of guys than you know, assault cannons. Oh, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is it's like, quit your whining <laughs> unless you've actually played against it and seen it because shit like quad mortars, Scorpus whirlwinds, plasma predators, um, the barrage that the master signal gets, 
you know, shit like that is way worse than assault cannons, and everybody can take it. That's so. all day. Words from the Kimmel. Words from Ryan himself. So, I don't know. I just, I think the whining is really unjustified. I don't, I don't get it at this point. Oh, I, I do want to say, because a lot of people are like, the other thing I've seen is, well, how are you, how are you going to roll these assault, because of the jam rule? Yeah. Like, you, what, what's your... What's your method for rolling that? Well, here's here's the method. This is I tried doing like color-coded dice. So like we actually took a note card and wrote blue is left, red is right, black is turret, um white is pintle. And then what I would do when I shot something, I would just go, well this has a left and a right assault cannon, so I grab this and this color die and roll it. Well, that was taking too long. So what I started doing was just going I would just say, I would grab four random dice and just go, here's the left assault cannon. And I would throw the dice and I would just visually check that there wasn't three ones there. But I wouldn't like, I wouldn't like say, well, these are hits and these are misses or whatever. I would just visually quickly recognize that's not three ones. (laughs) And then I would, then I would go, so I'd go left, throw the dice, right, throw four more, you know, turret, throw whatever. And then you know, as I'm visually recognizing that those aren't three ones. And then after you've rolled all the assault cannons on that vehicle, then you go in and just pull the ones out that are misses and then pick up all the dice that you've rolled and then just roll all those to wound. And it didn't go any slower, honestly, than just rolling for like normal units with multiple weapons in them. So like if you have, you know, like a veteran tactical squad with bolters and you know, a heavy bolter and a missile launcher where you have to roll each of those weapon systems separate. It's no, it's the same speed. So that's not an issue. If you just do that, like what I'm saying, like just go, well, here's the left assault cannon and throw four dice and then just quickly recognize that's not three ones and then move on. And then when you're done rolling all of the guns for that particular unit or model, um, then pull out all your misses and then roll to wound. It's not any slower. It's really not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried about it with with my assault cannons on my dreads. Yeah. Once again, like shit, like quad mortars, or like if I shoot a unit with ten missile launchers in it that I'm all firing crack, you know, rolling for scatter for each thing, flipping templates, counting like that. That takes way longer than this does, and you see that way more often. So I, I wouldn't worry about a time thing. If you're worried about time or it's a pain in the ass to roll for all these assault cannons, it's really not. I get it. I hear you, dude. So, also didn't have one jam. I had uh, what fifteen assault cannons in the list. Fired all of them every turn for. I think we played four turns before we called it, and they never none of them jammed. God, that's such a such good news. Good news to my ears. Yeah. So, anyway, I ended up like I said. I, I think turn four, um, I had most of this stuff dead. Um, I had the stuff that was like that he could actually hurt vehicles with dead. So as long as I wasn't a total idiot and get my tanks where he could assault them, um, there wasn't really anything he could do. I could just, you know, stay back and keep shooting him. And I had the other thing I like about my list is I think it's five scoring units. Yeah, the three predator squadrons and the the two uh, tactical units. So it's actually got a really sc- strong, you know, scoring element to it to grab objectives in that style mission. Hmm. So, well, we we ended up playing the mission where it's the uh, the modified kill points where you get 
you pick a unit type and you get kill points for that unit type. So obviously he picked tanks for me and obviously I picked infantry for him. So it wasn't a big, <laughs> so, um, that was the other thing. Cause once I had, you know, his, all the stuff that could hurt my tanks dead, I knew he couldn't kill my tanks, so he couldn't score points. So then it was just me taking my outriders and, you know, killing all his infantry in close combat. <laughs> so brutal. Such a, <laughs> such a brutal mental image. Just thinking of those poor militia just getting wiped by like, Getting assault cannon to the face by some some uh, attack bikes and outriders boltering. I, dude, Blood Angel outriders are legit with that because they get the plus one to wound roll. Yeah. Um. You know, just your normal guy because you know outriders are three attacks base on the charge because they got they have an additional close combat weapon, bolt pistol, and then they're you know just one normal attack and then you charge, so it's three, and then they get the hammer of wrath. Um, and then I put four power axes in the unit. So I basically charge in fight with all my ad initiative guys. And then any wounds you put on me, I just, you know, kill basic schmoes off. And usually all my power axes live. And then I swing back, you know, with, uh, what is that? The hurt. The sar <laughs> yeah. The hurt. It's nine, nine power axe attacks from the normal guys. And then another four from the sergeant. But because they're blood angels, like everything wounds on plus, you know, one better. So all the power axes are wounded on twos, and there's all my punching it, you know, just punching shit with your fist. That's still wounded on threes. So it's just brutal. I mean, it's brutal. I mean, you'll kill through a ton of guys like that. Yeah. Just like I said, man. Just like trimming weeds, dude. Just sweeping yep. on through. So anyway, that was the game. Um, quit whining about assault cannons, everybody. It's not that bad. That sounds like so much fun, dude. Like that sounds like a great game, and so much dice rolling as well. Oh yeah, that was the other thing. Like, because he's firing these militia guys, he's got las rifles, so they rapid fire at fifteen inches. Yep. So he's got that, and like I said, he's got like a hundred dudes on the board. So he was, you know, he killed almost that whole outrider squad. The the one of my outrider squad, he basically just killed with las guns. Good Lord. Because he's, he's just got so many. He's like, well, here's three units, all rapid firing. So, you know, there's 20 guys per unit. So he's like... 120 shots? Um, 20 dudes. So it's 60 shots times two. Yep. Yep. Nobody, no squad can live through that. <laughs> there's there's uh, just no way. I don't know. Fire Drakes would probably laugh at you just because they're Fire Drakes. But, oh, oh um, yeah, you're right. You're right. But, uh, I mean, my three-plus armor, say, bikes didn't. I mean, because he – normally, like, last guns I wouldn't be too worried about because I'm tough five and they're strength three and they need sixes, so whatever. But his are strength four. So not only are they 120 last gun shots, it's 120 strength four last gun shots. So it's bad news. Pew, 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 pew. Yep. Dead. Dead, yeah. So, yeah, pretty rotten. Well, that's awesome, dude. That sounds like a, a fun-ass battle. Did y'all take pictures? You can, did you post any pictures up? I did. Did you see there was a I – I think it was on Crusade and Heresy Facebook page where David Sampson uh, asked about an Arbor Breakthrough list. Did yes. you see that? Yes. Those, were that? those pictures were from that game. All right. So if y'all out there want to go see that, go to the Crusade and Heresy Facebook group and go check that out. And yep. you can see some some pictures of that battle, which it's a desert. It's like a desert board with a bunch of rusty buildings on it, and then I got a Blood Angel army, and it's you know obviously a bunch of red 
tanks. You can see it. That's badass, dude. Well, man, we're kind of running short on time here. Uh, I guess we can get to some events announcements. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. So, if y'all are in the Texas area, we actually have two events coming up in July. We have the Goalers 6319. That's actually going to be on the 23rd of July. Yeah, 23rd of July. That's going to be in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, try and try and make it out to that. Actually, that's the event that. Uh, man, I'm trying to get all my uh, get all my drop pods ready for and get all my my dreadnoughts ready. I don't think it's going to happen, but I got a I got a pretty good backup, but a backup army. But I don't think I'm ready for it. <laughs> it's it. You know, it's that many things to paint and put together by then it's going to be a it's going to be a stretch if you want to run a christmas army and have red red dreadnoughts with green drop pods i could send you some drop pods i couldn't do it i couldn't allow myself to do it <laughs> I would, I, I'd feel wear so a bad. santa hat and sing <laughs> christmas carols or whatever while you're playing in the middle of summer in texas with no snow on the ground like a crazy person and call it a like it say it's fluff or it's a theme it's a christmas <laughs> perfect (laughs) so yeah that's a that's a 2500 point list uh that's gonna be at dragon's lair in san antonio uh then that next weekend on july 30th is going to be the i don't really know how to say this but it's t-v-a-l-i-s so i'm gonna say valis i'm just gonna pretend the t silence it's either it's either talus or valis either way there's an extra letter in there that doesn't get pronounced I don't know, or it's Tavalis. Just but, say uh, T Valis. It's like a rapper. It's T Valis. Yeah, T Val Prime Part One. <laughs> so this is actually going to be a uh, a Horus Heresy 30K event that's going to be in uh, Carrollton, Texas, at the Texas Toy Soldier. It's July 30th. It's the week after uh, week after this Goaler 6319 event, which I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to swing both. To be honest with you. I'm going to try and knock both out. That's uh, July 30th, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's actually hosted by um, Matt Trent up there in in, uh, Carrollton, which is a little bit north of Dallas. So uh, that's another 2,500-point list. It's $10 registration, paid at the door. Uh, Definitely going to be fun on that one. Um, We also have the – one second. Let me pull it up right here. It just like it just happened nineteen nineteen minutes ago. Actually, why don't you drop a? You have the an event coming up. You want to? It's the Michigan Michigan GT. I mentioned it earlier. Um, I'm going to take my word bearers up there. I'm working on some new units. To uh, I had to make my army bigger because it's a you can play up to three thousand points at the event. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work. You have to bring. I guess I would call it a staged army list. You build a 2000 point core list and then you have, you build two miniature 500 point lists. Um, I guess they're like sideboards or whatever. They don't have to be like legal amongst themselves, but when you add them to your primary 2000 point list, that still has to be a legal list and you can't have any like units that overlap in any of your three lists. I hope I'm explaining that right. If you go to the Michigan GT uh, website it'll kind of explain it too so um 
for example, I have a 2,000 point core list, and then one of my 500 point sub lists is just Lorgar uh, transfigured or whatever. So obviously, you can't just take a Primark and like build a 500 point legalistic Primark, but this is like an add in to my 2,000. So that's what's going on there. So anyway, I didn't have um, a full 3,000 point army painted. I, I have that much Word Bear stuff, but not painted. So I'm painting some new units for that. But um, anyway, the Michigan GT is the uh, – it's on the, the weekend of – I think it starts September 29th. And I believe it's the 29th, the 30th, and then the 1st of October. So it's like the last weekend of September, first weekend of October. And it's in uh, the Lansing, Michigan area. I think it's like – 50 bucks or something to do it. And it's a two or three day event. It, so it's not, not a bad deal. And, uh, the hotel that they're having it in, they secured a special rate for the hotel. So it's, it's not too bad. And I'm going to have an extra bed in my room. So hit me up if you want a room. My uh, buddy, Nick thinks he is sharing it with me, but I can be bought off. If, if you bid higher than him, we can make him sleep in the bathtub and you can have the other bed. So nice. Nice. You're going. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't have very much money. He's quite quite poor because he just got out of college, so it should be pretty easy to outbid him. Uh, taking taking bets now. Taking bids now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the uh, it's a narrative-style event. It sounds like it's going to be super fun. Um, my buddy Aaron went to the event last year, but he played the 40K competitive track. Um, but he said the event is well-run and pretty cool. Like I said, I'm not Ben. It's going to be my first year. Um, I talked to David uh, Sampson of Scattershot, and I guess he's going to the event. So we were uh, talking lists, talking lists back and forth. So I think he's got a, a special surprise for everybody. I think he's painting up a new army for it. So oh, it should be pretty cool. That sounds sweet. And if you've never seen David's work, he can paint quite well. So if you want to see a very cool army that's probably going to be new, uh, come there and see his army. So we also have the, this is actually going to be, if you're in uh, New South Wales, uh, the guys over the Loaded Dice podcast wanted to shout out the Scouring of Sydney's Primary, a Horse Harris National event, a Horse Heresy National event, Nationals event. That's going to be on October 7th. Uh, that's going to be a, looks like a 2,500 point event coming up. So they had asked us to shout that out for them. So of course we're going to. So if you're in New South Wales, go check out the guys at the Lotus Dice, Loaded Dice Podcast. And, of course, we also have the raffle. We need to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we had a very successful, we feel, telethon last week for the raffle for Freddy the Swede. Uh, if you go to heresyagainstmd.com, uh, there is a donation page for the research of Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And if you donate $35 uh, to the research of Duchesne, for Duchenne, you get entered into a raffle that will happen in October for a fully painted Warlord Titan by Scattershot Painting. So that's right, a Warlord Titan painted by Scattershot Painting, a pro-painted Warlord Titan all it takes is $35 to enter into it, and not only do you get the chance to win this awesome Titan, but you also get to help further the research 
for Deshane muscular dystrophy. So he's still, I mean, that's like good karma all around. Like, it's, it's awesome. And that Titan, I, I've, I've not seen the whole thing. I don't know if they've shown like, this is what it looks like or if they're waiting, but I've seen works in progress of it. Like, you know, like here's a whip of the head, like the head totally done. Yep. Those scattershot guys, they a hundred percent know which is the dangerous end of an airbrush. I promise you that is some slick ass airbrushing. Um, they impress me every time I see their work. I basically, to me, an airbrush is like a glad, uh, glorified rattle can. Like all I can do is do base coats with it. <laughs> and uh, them guys over there, they work uh, magic. Their stuff is legit. So if you, uh, I think some of those whips are on the South Texas 30K page, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They are on the South Texas 30K page, and you can see some of the marble work they did. Like it's like a light blue marble on the legs. Uh, I don't remember what Legion they're going with, but basically they've decided to take their own run with it and make it just this, like, I think it's supposed to be like a normal white and blue Legion and, or a night and blue Titan. Uh, I guess it's Titan Legion, right? I feel. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Titan Legion. A Legio. A Legio. Legio. Yeah, Titan Legio. So it's like their own their own take on this uh, white and blue and it is looking fabulous, man. It's like this, instead of blue, they use this, like, light marble, and they made a marble effect down this entire Titan. It's it's awesome. I cannot imagine the person that's going to win that, like, how good they're going to get. Like, yeah. Could be me. I bought tickets. Yeah, I bought some tickets, too. So um, I, I'll feel bad if I win, because it'll be like, it's rigged. It's rigged. He was advertising it. He was blowing them on how good it looked. Then he won it. Screw <laughs> that guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. I mean, if I gotta blow somebody, you know. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I put on some knee pads for that. <laughs> you hear that, Samson and Birch? Let, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> so, you can even wear your hat, David. <laughs> so there's so also. All Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no! I, I just, I'm <laughs> just trying to avoid that mental image. So just trying to, just trying to move forward. <laughs> So we also have the Varangian Heresy podcast, Scandis Dreadnought Challenge. I'm actually entering in this as well. Uh, there's so, so much heresy going on right now. Uh, the Scandis Dreadnought Challenge, uh, if you build and paint a box dreads, that's going to be the Castaferum Dreadnought, uh, fitting for a Legion Era Force, Legion, Black Shield, Loyalist Trader, it doesn't matter. You can pick whatever you want. Uh, send in your pledge and photographs to the Varangian Heresy at gmail.com. Uh, they are looking for the most badass box dread conversion. No contemptor parts allowed. Uh, the only Games Workshop, you can only use the Games Workshop plastic kit, the Forge World Mark IV Ironclad kit, or the Forge World Mark IV uh, kit. Uh, so conversions are strongly encouraged. They're looking for the coolest dreadnoughts you have out there. Go ahead and submit your pledges and photographs to, once again, that's varangianheresy at gmail.com. And they will be taking that information, and in October, whenever they actually have the Scandis event, they'll pick the best one, and there will be prizes. So build a box dread, make a cool box dread. It's going to work very well for me because I've already got box dreads on box dreads. So Just build a Warlord, put it on a base, and glue the dreadnought onto the base of the Warlord. There you go. Coolest dreadnought ever. How cool would it be, like, because like one of the first things I thought about was like to have a like like a, a dead beat up body and like a, a blood angel dreadnought holding this like zombie body in his hand 
and him standing on top of a Leviathan Dreadnought all dead. And like he just like like what did that box dread just do and how did he do it? <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, so anyway, guys, I mean, that's going to be it for this part of the show. Uh, we got some music coming up for you, and that interview with Gav Thorpe on his new book, Angels of Caliban. Uh, I have nothing else, Ryan. What about you? Nope, nothing else. I uh, I listened to that Gav Thorpe book. It's pretty cool, so give it a listen. Yeah, dude, you need to listen to that interview, man. It was a lot of fun doing it. I will. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, here's some music for you, and uh, we will... See you in a little bit. Bye, guys.
welcome back, guys. Uh, glad y'all glad y'all hung out through the break there. Uh, like we promised at the beginning, we have a, a special guest for you guys. We have a uh, Gav Thorpe. Gav, you want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's it's a real honor to have you on. I mean, we. I mean, it, like I said, you've been like a. I've been in the game for about sixteen years, seventeen years now, and I mean, your name has always been in the in the limelight so it's like you know hey <laughs> now I'm yeah. talking to you. it's pretty awesome oh well thanks for having me i'm always happy to to get out and uh, and chat to as many people as i can that's so cool man i, r- I really appreciate that but uh so you have a new book out. You have uh, it just just dropped. It dropped audiobook on the 18th. That's that's when I I jumped on it and uh, i think it the full release was on the 24th, right? Uh, 24th, 25th, yeah, yeah, 20th. the hardback, and, uh, uh, with... and and that's Angels of Caliban, right? That's right, book 38 of the Horus Heresy series. So, uh, yeah, yeah, very pleased with that actually. Um, uh, been a, a long time in um, coming in a way, we've been building up to this book f- and the various storylines for a few years now. Yeah, I was actually, uh, we were kind of talking a little bit about it just a minute ago is, you know, I, I kind of felt like this book was, you know, you get a two for one out of it. You know, you, you've got two separate story arcs inside of it. Uh, you have a lot going into the, uh, what was happening with Imper- uh, Imperium Secundus. And then you also have the Caliban story with, with, with uh, all the turmoil that's happening on Caliban. And uh, I don't know if you want to go a little bit in depth. I don't want to uh, any, put out any spoilers for anybody because there's just so much that's in these books. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, as you summarised there, yeah, it, it follows two main threads: the two, the two sort of um, dark angels narratives, I suppose. Um, and the idea behind both of them is examining the lion and the consequences of the lion's actions, um, whether great or small, really. So, on the one side, we've got very directly: he is present in Imperium Secundus. He's continuing his hunt for Conrad Kurz, and um, having been appointed Lord Protector of Imperium Secundus, he not only takes it as he's as his sworn duty to hunt down Kurz because he considers him sort of the the public enemy number one, the greatest threat to the the security of the Five Hundred Worlds, but also he's got so much personal beef with him, um, and so I kind of play around with how much of it is personal, how much of it is he right that you know. Kurz is the most destructive, you know, has the most destructive potential to, to bring down Imperium Secundus uh, and, and the lengths to which the lion is prepared to go. And then on the flip side, um, we have the Caliban story, which again, it's the ripples of the lion's actions from about, well, I think it's about 70 years ago. It start, we start with a, a prologue on the world of, around the world of Zaramond uh, and essentially... Um, Sort of reinforcing the the isolation and the exile of Luther and, and many of the Dark Angels that get sent back to Caliban, and how that continues to pay off um, uh, in the movement for Caliban's independence. You know, so much later, and and basically one of the stories that kind of builds up to this was a, a short story I called called By the Lion's Command, in which it, it sort of finished with. Um, the other part of the dark, the third part of the dark angels under the command of Paladin Corswain. Um, he ends up with some transport ships, which he sends back to Caliban for reinforcement. So a, um, 
a significant catalyst, I suppose, to events on Caliban is the arrival of these starships. So they've been, uh, for 50-odd years or whatever, they've basically been um, under house arrest almost, and then now they've suddenly got the means to leave Caliban. So uh, everything sort of accelerates. So, yeah, the the... I mean, the, the the tagline for the book is "Emperors and Slaves," and it's really about power and who's in charge, and and also the themes I had for it were, were loyalty and honor, and and who owes loyalty to whom, and uh, and the varying nature of what honor can mean. So between the lion characters like Astlan, Gilliman, Luther, we've got quite a spread of of different motivations and different attitudes to to. Um, those around them and whether they use them or feel loyal to them, that sort of thing. So. No, absolutely. I mean, you can tell throughout the entire book. I mean, there's so much different, uh, uh, so much power struggle going throughout the entire book, you know, and, and there, there's very clear, you know, areas of th- this is the person in charge and, you know, this is that. But then you get, there's, you know, they, they don't follow their own rules and their own right. You know, there's there's certain order codes and law codes, and then you slowly start seeing those get bent throughout the book, and, you know, everybody's got their own agenda, even though it's very clear, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. It's 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 so it's so crazy. It's just it's so much politics. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's one of the one one of the things that sort of built up to this was um conversations with Alan Bly of Forge World, um and, and some of the although I don't think it's going to drop anytime soon sort of like preparations and thoughts he's had about what they'll do with the dark angels and one of the things is that because various writers and authors have written the dark angels over the years and in the heresy itself we there's a lot of kind of terminology and ranks and structures and things which never really got organized in the past so there's quite a bit of conflict about are they arranged in chapters and orders and companies and all this sort of thing and so alan took the view that all of it was right that actually the Dark Angels themselves as the First Legion, as the Proto-Legion, which is one of the things I kind of explore in the novel, the idea that they weren't always the first, they were the thing that came before the Legions, between sort of like the end of the Primarchs project and the start of the Legions was um, what were termed the six hosts, the, the Hexagrammaton, the Emperor's Angels of Death, before they were even known as Space Marines. And these were the guys, guys like Astalan were there from the outset, at the very start of the, you know, the, the sort of like the crossover period from the end of the unification wars to the start of the great crusade. And they were organized along very different lines over these six hosts, which were sort of like very specialist armies, which did combined arms. And they sort of came together um, as a fighting force. Uh, their names have been lost, but essentially they then got reformed into the first legion. And then when they were brought to, you know, when when they were united with the line on Caliban, then there's a whole other structure from the order on Caliban that then got laid over to the top of the legion. So you had these three kind of conflicting hierarchies in a way, and the six hosts continued to exist as these brotherhoods um, within the Dark Angels Legion. So you have the Dreadwing, uh, Deathwing, the Ravenwing, but also the Firewing, the Stormwing, and the Ironwing. Uh, and so... Uh, what happens is a, a commander, a field commander or whoever can call upon one of the wings to come together uh, and do their specialism. So if they needed to do recon and get intelligence and sort of stuff, they'd call on the Raven wing. And then uh, each of the wings has a voted lieutenant, a guy who's in charge 
on the battlefield. He had called together all his brothers from this kind of inner brotherhood. They'd get together. They, you know, they'd be from different squads, different companies. You know, the ones that can basically disengage, come together, and, and go off and do their thing. Uh, and the idea being that they've not, you know, they've got special equipment, but they've also got the expertise and the history and things to do stuff uh, that uh, the regular kind of structures of the Dark Angels can't do. So in this book in particular, we focus on the Dreadwing, um, who are the guys who break stuff. <laughs> they, uh, their yeah, motto is, yeah. we, are, we have come, we are death. Um, and they're the, the most flat-out, stone-cold killers, pretty much, of the Legion. Um, and and their, um, their voted Lieutenant Farris Redloss, we, we spend quite a bit of time with, and he's, uh, yeah, he's kind of, uh, he's called upon to to flatten things basically, and they've got loads of. Again, one of the other things is the idea that because of the history of the Legion, most of their tech is actually Terran. It's from the Emperor's own scientists and workshops, not from sort of like from the Mechanicum and the Martians. Uh, so again, they've got. I, I kind of drew in some of the 40k stuff in terms of like void weaponry and so things like the dark shrouds and and void cannons, all that kind of stuff, and then combined that uh, for the Dreadwing with. Phosphex weapons and rad weapons, and they've got vindicators with void shells and superior tanks of <laughs> void cannons and all this kind of other cool stuff. And mobile, uh, there's the portcullis mobile shield generator thing, so playing up on the nightly theme and all of that. Um, so they've got loads of cool kit <laughs> as well as which oh, yeah. other legions just don't have because they're supplied by the Forge World rather than drawing directly from Terra or at least from patterns and kind of technologies that were directly created on Terra. So, um, yeah, that's all kind of fun as well. <laughs> Yeah, that that was like one of the biggest things that because I actually I got the uh, audiobook version, and whenever you know they first you know they get Red Loss together and he's like you know get the, get the Dreadwing up and running, and Red Loss is like you know hey you sure like are you, <laughs> like once once this starts like once this train gets going it's not stopping they're like yeah we we need Dreadwing on this one and then the audiobook starts describing these weapons that are being used and. You know, I'm so used to, you know, I know I know about lance strikes, I know about all these things, and then, you know, I, I learn about this void rift being opened into the ground and yeah. suck, and, you know, it's like, what is this? Like, what kind of weapons are they using? And then it started making more sense that the Dreadwing is just this whole separate organ. Like, it, I mean, y- if you go Wikipedia Dreadwing right now, you're not going to, I think it's going to say, like, this this wiki needs editing because there's no information <laughs> So like this is the book that the Dreadwing is first gonna just blow up, and you know you're gonna get all your information from it. Uh, yes, yeah, definitely. So if you could, you know, let Alan Bly know when he writes the next uh, the next Horus Heresy uh, book for the game about all this Dreadwing stuff, so could you maybe put in some good words on that one? Get on oh, definitely, words? definitely. <laughs> but I say, I mean, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, one of the things was. Um, this was very much the, the sort of the, the history, and, and it, it, many of these ideas say were kind of um, created in synthesis with the stuff Alan had planned. But yeah, the, the specifics of what models might make it into the, because um, of course that's just the Dreadwing. Never mind when you start getting onto the Firewing and the Stormwing and all these other guys. You know, it's like, and the idea is particularly with the Deathwing and the Ravenwing, they're not quite what you think they're going to be. Um, you know. We obviously know them in 40k as the, the elite Terminator guys and and the Recon Company. Absolutely, but actually, it needs to be a bit more than that. So the idea behind the uh, in the 31st millennium, the, the idea behind the Deathwing is that the 
they're the veterans, but of course, you know, they're all veterans by this stage, all the guys that left terror at least. But they're they're the most dependable, they're the loyal ones, they're the um they're they're kind of like the exemplars, I suppose, in terms of what we they're almost the officers of Dreadwing. They're the one not not in terms of they don't kill stuff, but actually they're just they're a precision instrument in a way. And and again, as I kind of hinted at earlier, I suppose the Ravenwing aren't just about battlefield recon. It's all about the full full scope of intelligence gathering, you know, um, whether that's like with agents and spies and all that kind of stuff as well. So, because um, you, you sort of go back and think, well, these guys, these organisations existed before most of that other imperial structure did. You know, these guys operated on their own. They didn't necessarily have the imperial army with them and the expedition forces. It was just these guys. So they did it all. Or other parts of each of the hosts contributed something and could do it all. So utterly self-sufficient as a legion. Yeah, you know, you start, you know, now, you know, before they're, you know, I think that's one of the best parts of the book is when you know, they, they're they having the discussion. It's like, we weren't called the First Legion. We didn't have to be called the First Legion because there was no other legions, you know. We're just the yes. angels of death. So you think about it and you think, okay, now you think about all the legions that the Emperor has access to, and these are all specialized legions in their own right. You know, you've got, you know, Perturabo, you got the Iron Warriors, you've got, yeah. you know, Angron and his World Eaters, you know, it's, and you think, well, when these didn't exist, you needed some structure to make, you know, these specialized legions, and I think that's, that's what you've, you've, you're pulling from, and it's, it's, it's insane, you know, it's, it's something I've never yeah. thought about. Yeah, and I think and it, it kind of, like I say, it does shine a light on, on sort of like some of the later stuff when you think, you know, it's very, um, Astalan is our, you know, is our main viewpoint into those times. And obviously he's a bit of an, very much an unreliable narrator, but actually on a lot of this stuff, obviously he, he's got no reason to lie. He might kind of big him up his own personal role, but the role of the Legion. Uh, and one of the things being that, you know, the Emperor needed a Dirty Tricks Brigade. The Emperor needed certain things done, you know, if he wanted a world broken, he'd deploy what was previously, you know, now known as the Dreadwing. And so it actually, when people say, well, why would the Emperor put up with someone like Kurz and the, and the Night Lords or Angron and go, because he had uses for them. Yeah. You know, it's like, he's, he was, although he was fighting the Great Crusade, it's like, this was not the most, you know, the, the end justified the means as probably as far as the Emperor's concerned. These were not the first terror forces that he deployed. These were not the first maniacs whoever fought under his banner, you know, he's been around a long time and fought a lot of wars and he kind of knows some of the stuff you need to do, get into the trenches down and dirty. And so suddenly some of those questions about, you know, oh yeah, but you know, from, from our, our lofty viewpoint of out being outside the universe and thinking, oh yeah, but we know Kurz is insane and why would he ever trust him? You think, yeah, but actually he, the emperor in his experience knows he knows, He's insane. He's insane. Yeah, he's he, to, he gets results. He's got yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and maybe he's the right kind of insane. <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, he's the. He's the. Uh, if you look at the, the grand scheme of things, and you know, you got rock paper scissors. It's like this is a rock type world. We need some paper for it. You know. Yeah. It, it, I, yeah. I get yeah. It. <laughs> um, and and, and all, yeah, and, and so. And then we get to see that and one of the other interesting things in the sort of like in the prologue that, that I kind of played around with because you get various characters come together uh, on, on, around this world of Zaramund and essentially um, we see we see Luther um, meeting 
Kalas Typhon. That was um, that, that was hands down one of my favorite scenes in the book. It it lets you feel who Luther was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think and it's and it's nice. And there's a little bits because of course it's actually a good. It's actually from Typhon's perspective a lot of it. So um, we we see him and and actually there's there's a there's a little cameo from Erebus as well. And obviously this is all kind of early days yet, but you know. Um, you know the, the kind of like the Davenite brotherhoods and things, and there's kind of essentially could make no headway into the Dark Angels because they had already had so much of this internal structure and brotherhoods and things that actually these new warrior lodges just didn't get a look in. They've already got so many secret societies and weird handshakes and stuff already mm. that actually trying to introduce this you know this entirely new um, kind of not in a wink. A warrior lodge thing just didn't didn't stand a chance. Um, and L- Luther, um, uh, I think I, I think he said he laughed when Abaddon uh, tried to to introduce the idea of warrior lodges to the Dark Angels, and and, and Typhon's like, "You laughed at Abaddon." And he's like, "Well, what was I supposed to do?" Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, just him. Uh, I mean, just the way you describe Typhon, pretty much like getting goosebumps and all warm inside just, <laughs> just talking to Luther. and you know it's typhon you know it's he's like uh, he just from his perspective if you it's like man if he if typhon got all warm and fuzzy over luther you know man this guy must be a really great guy he's telling people thank you he's shaking hands <laughs> yes well that, that's it i suppose he's trying to get across you know what was his strength you know in terms of like he's just an amazing orator he's got a charisma about him that other people want to follow him he's got a manner with people which is easy and yet shows leadership and everything that you'd want you know everything would have made an amazing um sort of like vice leader of the dark angels Mm -hmm. And, and unfortunately events and perhaps um, his personality you never know or the lion's jealousy or whatever all the reasons you've put it down to he got sidelined and you just think well how different the heresy all, all, all hinges on lots of little moments you know there's no one thing although we kind of think well it's Davin and Horace getting stabbed and things none of it would have happened if he didn't have the other guys on his side if these guys had gone a different way most of these events are an accumulation of small factors all coming together and actually the sidelining of Luther after um, uh, you know, after the, the uh, assassination attempt on the line and, and all that kind of stuff, and you think that's a in itself seems small, but actually is a major factor in what the Dark Angels end up doing, and that's what I tried to show on the Imperium Secundus side. Hopefully, people think, well, if Luther had been part of that, if he'd had this slightly more charismatic, hands-on, more Horus-like character, almost at the Lion's side as his right hand. So much more would have gone so much more easily for the Dark Angels Legion. Absolutely, and, and you think about that all the time, you know, because the way you write about the lion and every every perspective you have from, you know, either uh, Gilman or anybody else who's talking about the lion, they know that it's going to be just this ordeal to deal with him. You know, <laughs> like they're just like shit. He's here. Like <laughs> I got to deal with this now. And you think about man, if he would have sit, if he would have had Luther there. You know, that's just so much easier to deal with. He's so much more charismatic, so much nicer. Complete polar opposite of, of the lion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's one of the fascinating things about the lion, I think, is you get to, 
he's um, and he and he's kind of slightly unraveling across the story really because he's Kurz has been pushing all these buttons, but he's he's turned up, he's rocked up at Imperium Secundus originally thinking he's going to have to put it down, that he's going to have to, uh, if anything, kill Gilliman and destroy the Ultramarines for a heresy as big as Horus's, you know, sort of like abandoning the Emperor and creating their own empire. Right. You think, well, that's pretty big. And he ends up supporting it and being one of the triumvirate that leads it. And that's kind of eating at him, even if he doesn't really realise it. It's eating at all three of them, really. Gilliman, Sanguinius and the Lion are never... You know, Gilliman's the most comfortable because it's his plan and he's got that the longest view. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, you know, they they know that they're kind of on shaky ground and they've they've decided to put aside their differences, but also their misgivings because they think this is the only shot they've got. Uh, and that and as soon as, as soon as the cracks start appearing, then all their own self doubts, all of their doubts about each other, um, particularly between the Lion and Gilliman, who just really do not get on. Um, uh, all come to the fore and it all starts just crumbling around them. Absolutely. I mean, that's just, that. that is pretty much top to bottom what the book is about. It is about that shaky structure of Imperium Secundus. And in the Imperium Secundus story, it, by itself, is so undertold, you know, underknown as well. So it's a, it's a very, it, this has so much <laughs> fresh canon for... Like I said earlier, every Wikipedia out there is just getting <laughs> getting updated as soon as this book it gets read a few times. Yeah, I mean, one of the and it's always you know we sort of touched on it in the conversation before we we started recording really. But one of the things about that Dan had in mind the idea of it being called Unremembered Empire uh, and actually revealing why it's not why it was kind of erased from the records and, and part of that is the way it fell. It's not just the heresy of its existence that at the same time that Horus was rampaging across the Imperium intent on destroying the Emperor and taking over Terra, and the Ultramarines, Dark Angels and Blood Angels went AWOL and set up their own kingdom. But also, actually, it does not end well. <laughs> you know, it's not there is there is no glory to be had here in terms of why would you let future generations know how bad things got, really. And so a bit like, you know, lots of other things that happened during the heresy and, and Prior to that, it's just like, no, it never existed. Yeah, all records expunged. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I would do in that case. <laughs> just hide, hide that failure real quick. Yeah. But one of the tasks we kind of set ourselves a bit is with the Horus Heresy, you know, a lot of the existing law, it, it revolves around two major points, which is the drop site massacre and the siege of terror. And there's a few little... Um, from the card game, particularly, there's a few little extra things that got added in. There's Kalf, the Cygnus Prime, um, and, and, and a couple of signature battles. But seven years of the heresy, the Age of Darkness, as we called it, um, there's got to be loads and loads of stuff going on. But from the existing background, we didn't, you know, we don't know anything. And the Dark Angels are one of those whose story isn't really a, wasn't really a Horus Heresy story. They turned up late. For the siege of terror, and then split after the heresy ended, and that's that's all they did. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not. And so, one of the things we wanted to do was make the Dark Angels and everyone who wasn't even at the siege of terror relevant to the story, in a way. And so, the Imperium Secundus arc, the Ultramarines. This is the part of the arc of the Ultramarines and the Dark Angels, and what was important about what they were doing that kind of changed the course of the heresy. And the same with the Calibanite story. 
that's very deliberately again trying to bring that into perspective of wider events in a galaxy full of war. Why was Caliban so important um, during heresy, not just afterwards? No, absolutely. I mean, hands down, you think about the Dark Angels. I mean, just even five, six years ago, there was so little known about the heresy. And so you, everybody just kind of, like, that's the narrative people have in their head is, you know, Dark Angels just weren't there. You know, they, yeah. we don't know what they were doing, but, you know, they they were just probably, you know, hiding, like, secrets somewhere, you know, <laughs> un- unforgiving somebody somewhere. That's so, right, yeah. So, like, this is, you know, it's so fresh. It's so nice to, like, actually fill that in. And, I mean, y'all are just killing it right now with, with the narrative. And, the, you know, these, <laughs> these books are just so good. Yes, well, that's one of the things, uh, again, obviously, the, the Heresy start, started off with the trilogy, which was a very strong start. And then it broadens, the story broadens out massively because you've got all kinds of characters and legions being involved. And everyone, lots of readers want to follow their own guys. You know, we want to see what's happening with the world eaters. We want to know what Perturald is up to and all that kind of stuff. But actually, now, as we transition from what we are calling, what was called like the Imperium Secundus arc to the Gauntlet, which is the convergence on terror, then we're injecting a lot more momentum into the story there's a there's a it's condensing back into a singular narrative which kind of funnels us down towards the siege of terror and there's a lot there's a lot of strings to start pulling together and 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 stuff because there are there has been so many characters and storylines explored already so like are 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 y'all prepped or like ready for siege of terror like is that like is, is there is there a date like on a whiteboard somewhere that um not i don't think quite that specific we've we've still got a few a few things to kind of settle before then and we've certainly not talked about it yet but yeah there is a shape there for instance um later i think it's november um uh corax comes out which is the bind up of all the previous uh raven guard stuff i've done plus a new novella and that essentially ties up the corax story so they're, they're they're kind of they're put not necessarily on the back burner, but you know that's that's because they don't take part in the siege of terror. That kind of parks them there for the moment. We know what they've done and what they've got up to, and then and then we can pause. And there'll be various other inst- uh, installments of various other legions that aren't going to be participating, so we know what they're up to and what they've done and what they've got to. We're not going to be able to do all of it with all the characters because there's like dozens, hundreds of characters have been introduced across the series, um, but certainly all the major arcs of Everybody who arrives at Terra and everybody who doesn't arrive will all be sort of settled before we then launch into that final part of the series. That's fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm ready. I, I'm a Raven Guard player myself, so <laughs> it's, I'm all about new novellas. I got my signed Korak Soulforge and Raven Lord behind me by you, so that's... That's cool, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Where Geld, which is the extra novella, that'll... Um, yeah. Hopefully that we we'll, I'll come back on and we can chat about that then as well. Heck yeah, that'd be <laughs> great. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, I enjoyed that. It's one of those. I mean, the, the sort of like the Dark Angels and the Raven Guard have been very different in a way because when I did Deliverance Lost, which was the first novel I did for the Heresy, except for a few little bits on Terror with Malkador and Dawn and things, it's a very self-contained story because there's lots of all this other stuff going on with the Sons of Horus and. Loken and and who know you know all these other characters and the Prospero storyline and everything else and it was very daunting in a way even though I'd read up on it it's like well I can't really just pick up these characters and start running with them and so the Raven Guard 
and Deliverance Lost in particular was a novel which was very much a self-contained narrative, whereas Angels of Caliban is, as we've kind of discussed, is like you know picking up about two dozen different strings and trying to tie them all together into a single knot um, as a point in the narrative, and then and then leaving a few more strings going onwards for the other authors to continue. And so just the amount of um, relying very much on Laurie Goulding, the series editor, to try and get stuff right as well. You know, it's like him coming back, oh no, actually he's, you know, when we're kind of discussing the story and the synopsis, um, getting the feedback from him about what's going on. But also reading the previous stuff, trying to pick up on the characters as they've been portrayed and remembering the conversations we've had in meetings in years past. You know, things Dan was saying about his, like I say, Imperium Secundus and, and the, the conversations we've had about Sanguinius and Gilliman and uh, the lion and such that trying to present at least a, a coherent picture, even though it's my particular take on those guys and and everyone approaches the characters with their own lens. Hopefully they feel like they might, they're the same characters that we've been seeing before. Yeah. That's a, that's one thing that I, I we were kind of wondering is, you know, when you, when you talk about Korax and you talk about, uh, you talk about Korax, you talk about the lion, you know, it's Gapthorpe, you know, it, Gapthorpe's the go-to. So we just kind of assume that, you know, people like uh, other authors, when they're writing the lion in or anything like that into their book or Korax into their book, that they just consult with you. So, so did you, uh, did you consult with like Abnet whenever you were, it's like, Hey, how do you think Guillaume would, you know, would, would handle this situation or. Is that um, kind of- yeah. Yeah, so yeah, not I suppose not specifically like that, um, just because he's very busy and really doesn't need loads and loads of people bugging him with emails, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but I think yeah, just sort of so in the sort of like earlier stages of the series, we the, as a, a group of authors before the when there was probably about six or seven of us, um, it was easier for us all to get round the table and actually talk about the books we were working on and all that sort of thing. Now that it's kind of spread out a little bit more and there's a few more authors, well, quite a few more authors involved, that's not been practical anymore. Um, but just, yeah, kind of bearing in mind the conversations and, and teasing stuff out of Dan's head back then, really, in case I needed to write Ginneman or... Because, I mean, I was working very much on the Dark Angel storyline. I wouldn't even necessarily... Originally, Dan was going to write a book called Dreadwing, which kind of covered... Uh, not necessarily in terms of the events, but you know, say a lot of the lore and the stuff about the history of the Legion and things was all going to be covered in that. But his workload, being what it is, Dreadwing never happened, and so mm-hmm. that job then kind of got inserted into the Angels of Caliban, uh, much to the, its betterment, I think. <laughs> it, it was cool picking up, you know, having to incorporate that into the story that I was originally planning to do and changing it um, meant there was a lot more depth to the the legion than we would have seen um but having had those conversations with him back then when he was planning dreadwing i kind of already and then having similar conversations with alan Bly, that allowed me to, to kind of pick up some of the ideas um that had been seeded earlier on i gotcha well you nailed it i mean <laughs> as odd as it must have been to just like hey we're not going to be able to write a whole another book for the dreadwing can we just squeeze that into your book? <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a bit daunting at first, but and I'd say because it was a there was a very different angle. And the, the one thing that we we didn't get, which was originally in Angels of Caliban, but hopefully I'll get a chance to do the uh, you know audio or story or something. Is come back and do a bit more about Corswain because he's he's a, he doesn't he, he only features kind of like in kind of um, other characters referring to him, and he's still got quite a large 
important chunk of story to go, really. Um, so he's one of those threads I'd like to follow up on before we get to the terror. Um, but the the, the um, yeah the ongoing saga of the line and things will be handed on to some other people at the moment. You know, as like I say, I've got I've, I've done the next instalment for Corax, um, but then I'm not quite sure what 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 will be next for the Heresy for me. Wow, that's uh. Oh, okay. we'll, we'll keep it posted, man. Like, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll keep an eye out. Every, everything you write's good, so we're, we're looking forward to it. But, cool. So yeah, man. So I have a list of questions here sitting in front <laughs> of me, and uh, basically we went around. And we asked some people, you know, hey, what, what if we had Gav on? What would you, what would you like to ask him? I don't know. You want to, you want to look at some of these questions, maybe? Yeah, let's just go through them. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So the first one, I think it's pretty much the standard do you currently play 40k or 30k and if you do which armies do you play uh i would not say that i currently play i think i, I have um a quite dated eldar army in in figure cases still um uh, but it's it's honestly been i mean i left uh workshop to go full-time freelance about eight years ago i think it was and so I'd probably say it's probably been about seven years since I actually played 40k. Um, and it well, actually, and it was it's simply because um, it was all the workshop games, really, because I'd been involved in designing them and writing the background and, and creatively <laughs> immersed in them. Um, uh, to kind of step outside and, and basically be become a consumer, you know, so I've been outside that process was very difficult for me. And actually, I needed to just take a break from it all. Because uh, I wasn't, you know, I, it was it was just one of those. It allowed me just to concentrate on writing the books again on, on the fiction because that was my involvement with my hobby. I still consider all that way through. I still consider myself a Warhammer Forty K player, even if I hadn't actually picked up a miniature or rolled the dice. And I wouldn't. It hasn't changed so fundamentally. I wouldn't understand it, but I can't have discussions about the rules of the latest editions because I just don't know the game that well anymore. And it is the sort of. You know, it's the sort of game where you have to be constantly involved. You know, every new codex that comes out, every new edition of the game, you know, formations, all this kind of stuff requires that you kind of pay attention. Um, and then I've got, and then I've got a little boy who's two and a half now. So actually, the last two and a half years, any kind of gaming has been um, very much uh, uh, as and when. So uh, yeah, but actually, it's I'm, I'm starting to kind of creep back towards it. And um, uh, what I find exciting actually. Is the possibility of playing Adeptus Titanicus again because oh, that was one yeah, that was the yeah. game that got me into GW in terms of the game we played the most when I was a teenager, and so um, with specialist games and I was chatting to Andy Hoare at the Warhammer Fest event very recently and they've got really exciting stuff planned for Adeptus Titanicus, so um, uh, that'll be my return to 30k I suppose with a long way round. <laughs> hey man. I'm just saying, if you picked up 30k, you got the inside track on making those <laughs> rules a little OP for your, for the Dark Angels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so yeah, that was one. Uh, the next one is which Legion slash chapter do you like writing about uh, the most, Raven Guard or Dark Angels? Oh, mm. I would say. Uh, because I've done it across both Heresy and 40k, it'd have to be the Dark Angels. Um, but, and because I, I've just not really, you know, uh, George Mann did has done quite a lot of the 40k era 
Raven Guard stuff. So it's not something I did a, a tiny little short story on Shrike, and that was that was quite fun. But um, I don't really have a, a handle on them in in the Forty First Millennium. But also, I, I like writing about the Dark Angels because, for all the reasons we've discussed, um, they come with built-in conflict. <laughs> you know, as an author, you, you're trying to set characters up and then give them obstacles to overcome, and, and conflict resolution is essentially how stories progress. And when you look at the Dark Angels, it's already on in there. You know, keep secrets from each other. They're kind of always working at cross purposes and all kinds of other stuff, even before you throw the enemy at them. Um, whereas actually with someone like the Blood Angels or the Raven Guard or the Ultrans and stuff, you have to work a bit harder to, to create some of that conflict, um, which isn't just physical fighting, but actual proper character conflict. Uh, so, yeah. But that said... Um, I, uh, I'm kind of done with the Dark Angels for the moment, both 40K and Heresy. Uh, I've got an Eldar novel I'm working on next, but the Space Marines I'm most likely to return to. I've kind of pitched to Black Library, and I'm quite excited about it. It's doing a series on the Crimson Fists. Oh, so, yeah. And, and going back, not current, but actually going back in, before they got their asses kicked by the Orcs. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Back when, they, back when they were at their height and... and and doing really cool stuff. So um, yeah, that's not been confirmed yet. They were quite like the pitch, but that's not that's not commissioned or anything yet. But hey. so we'll see what happens with that. Hey, something had to happen between 30k and 40k, and so I think you're just trying to you're just trying to capitalize on that. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 the joy of it. And one of the things is, um, you know, because we have got a lot about the Dark Angels, the Ultramarines, the Blood Angels, um, and a lot of the first what were you know first found in chapters. The, the you know the big big chapters and actually it's quite nice to go back to some of the chapters who are i wouldn't say second string but actually you know kind of second founding i mean the, the, and the crimson fists for me they were the they were the original cover chapter yeah oh. you know rogue trader has a crimson fist on the front and the ultramarines have come along and stolen all their glory and, and all the rest of it and stuff but actually I, I think it's cool to go back and make the crimson fists hopefully um Really, the really cool guys who are remembered for doing awesome stuff, and not just the guys that got beaten at the Battle of the Farm and um, and nuked their own uh, fortress monastery. So yeah, that'd be good. It'd be good. Restore them to honor. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you see it that way because that that is exactly how I see it. So <laughs> they they need that little that 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 comeback. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah, yeah, and, and and players can feel a bit more proud for collecting them again. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so there's a few in here that are actually about some of the things we already talked about, so I'm going to skip over those. I, I'm actually, this is one of my favorite ones, is uh, what other non-Games Workshop games do you play? Oh, well, I play a lot, really. Um, I do quite a lot of board games and stuff. I'm, I used to do a lot of role-playing. I've not done that for a little while. Our group kind of fell apart about four years ago just to... You know, once you kind of get out of the habit of meeting every week and things, it never quite gets back off the ground again. And that was um, uh, a kind of Victorian horror using the Call of Cthulhu rules, which ran for about five or six years, I think we did it. Um, but miniatures-wise, I've been putting together some forces for a game called uh, World of Twilight, which are these sort of very strange... Uh, <laughs> I've met the creator uh, at Salute recently, um, but they call them battle fraggles. But it's, it, it's very much, it looks like Jim Henson style kind of fantasy and things. It's very nice, very different to what you get for like Warhammer and things. Yeah, I'm actually um, looking at them right now. <laughs> I had to Google yeah. it as soon as you said that. 
Yeah, so and, and he ran a Kickstarter a couple of years ago, which I backed quite heavily. It was the first uh, miniatures Kickstarter I did, but he'd been running it for a few years, so I was quite confident. He, you know, it was it was basically you know using it to, to put together a new rule book and expand his range. So that was cool. So I've got I've been painting some of those up eventually. Um, yeah, so I do quite a bit of board gaming. I've got spent. I, I mean, I've basically got a Kickstarter habit when it comes to board games. I usually back about at least one thing a month. Um, some small games, some big games, really. I'm waiting for my second wave, well, Onslaught 2 of Cthulhu Wars, which is just ridiculously cool. Um, so, uh, and then I've been, you know, one of the things I do is I kind of mess around with my own rules, really. So I've been working on some World War II rules and uh, I keep changing them around and things like that, and maybe they'll get published one day. Um, I don't do a lot of off-the-shelf rules. I, I've kind of gone back to, to d- doing what I used to do when I was before I started working at Games Workshop and kind of monkeying around with stuff and and kind of seeing cool toy soldiers. The other game I play a lot, actually, is a game system by a friend of mine, Carl Brown of Second Thunder. He's got a game called Open Combat, which is a fantasy skirmish game, um, which is a pre-gunpowder fantasy or historical where you can, pre- you know, it's not tied to a miniatures range. You, you create the stats for your guys themselves. So um, it's great for doing, like, Vikings versus Normans or... Celts versus Romans, or Orcs versus Halflings, or whatever you, you can, you, you basically decide, you know, what stats everybody has, and it's a it's a really good fun system. Um, it looks beer and pretzels when you first play it, but actually there's quite a lot of tactical depth to it, and positioning, you know, pushing guys back and blocking off their retreats and all that kind of stuff is very important, and the synergies between the different weapons and things. So, yeah, I've been playing quite a bit of that, and I'll be writing a bit of that for the future probably. I've got some ideas for an undead supplement for that. Um, and then, yeah, I I've got... Um, <laughs> a friend of mine is going to be introducing me to Age of Sigma in a couple of weeks' time. Oh. I'm kind of curious about. Um, because, it, again, it goes back to that idea of just buying some cool toy soldiers and playing some games with them. There isn't, like... There's, there's, there's structure to it in terms of, like, the way you can collect units and armies and stuff like that, but actually it's not... I think army lists became very restrictive and start telling people how to collect their armies. And I, I quite like the approach of, well, actually just going, we, we kind of did it a bit with 40K Apocalypse, which is just get some cool, get the toy soldiers you want, put them on a the table and have a cool game. Um, and I think um, that's very much where my gaming's at these days, because I just want to buy, I don't have the time to necessarily paint so many figures, you know, it's like yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to necessarily collect a war, another Warhammer army. Um so not necessarily just skirmish, but actually I just I, I need to be able to concentrate on models that I just love. You know, I'm going to be able to pick them up and paint them. That said, I did pick up a box of Betrayal at Kalf. Um So I do actually have some, uh, you know, Mark IV Marines that I will get around to painting quite soon. And I probably will do the Ultramarines and Wordbearers as per the box, but that's not 100% certain. <laughs> well, if you, if you need some more... <laughs> some more units for your uh, for your Kalth box. Let yeah. me know. We'll send some your way. We'll get you. We'll get right. you back. In. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. The, the, sad, the sad thing is because I because I haven't done any um, sort of like Citadel miniatures for for a long time. So most of the stuff I get is kind of metal or sort of resin and things like that. Um, is I realised I don't actually own any plastic glue. <laughs> it's got that. It's been that long since I put any plastic models together. I every time I think about. I think about well, I'll get the, I'll start putting the space rooms together. I think actually, I've, I've got to go out and get some plastic cement first before I can even start that. So, and then I forget. So, 
So either you're just going to have really brittle models or... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no. We'll, it's, uh, and, and painting it and just trying to get my head around painting again and remembering, because I did bits and pieces sort of over over the years, but the last couple of years kind of ramping up again and remembering the different techniques I use and what suits my style and all that kind of stuff. And so painting some Space Marines, which will be the first Space Marines I've painted in about 10 years, is going to be quite interesting. I'm looking really looking forward to it, actually, which is why I'm almost putting it off, because I, I, I just need to... Um, I need to hone my skills just a little bit more so I can do a nice job of them. But... No, I understand. That's uh, <laughs> rust, you... ring rust. <laughs> oh, I I get it, hundred percent. I get. I I've been kind of off and on, and every time I come back, I'm like, okay, do I remember how to paint? And it's always a, a first rough couple of models, and then it's like, okay, okay, I remember the techniques now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So I'll, uh, I'll ask one more question, and then I'll let you go. We're, we're right at that mark. I don't want to keep you all day. Uh, the last one I have on here is, uh, what is your favorite non-black library fiction book? My favorite non-black library fiction book? Oh, um, I'm really bad at favorites because it just depends what mood you ask me in. Um, <coughs> uh, my favorite non ah oh, really, really difficult one. Um, if I was to... Pick one book that I could always read. I would say it would be Legend by David Gemmell, um, which was a very influential book for me when I was a teenager. And I got to meet David Gemmell and I got him to sign a copy of Winter Warriors when he was signing at a bookstore. Um, and it was <laughs> it was just after I started writing for Black Library when, when my first short story was published in Inferno magazine. And so I queued up with everybody else with my, my book, and I thought, ah, he's a writer, I'm a writer now, we can have a conversation, it'll be good. And then I got to him, and I just went, can you sign my book, please? And then ran off. You know, it's just like one of those total starstruck sort of things. So, yeah, I think it's just a, it's a great novel, Legend, and um, uh, for heroic fantasy. I mean, I like, yeah, there's all kinds of fantastic novels I've, I've been able to read over the years, but uh, if I picked one, if, you know, if I was... If there's, I had to grab one book running out of the house just to keep me uh, amused and entertained. It'll be that one. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to go look at look at Legend now. I I, I haven't read it. Uh, I I found right. it right on Amazon. So yeah, to go see what see what Gav reads now. <laughs> yes. Well. But yeah, man, I I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you talking about your book. Uh, all you listeners out there, uh, definitely go check out. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, just slipped my mind. It's uh, Angels of Caliban. Yes. And, and uh, I'll I just, sorry, I'll just slip in um, I've, on my website, um, which is www.gavthorpe.co.uk. I've sort of I've put up a few extra articles and things. So there's like my, my author's notes, um, there's the playlist. There's, I did an interview actually, which was, which was great, really pleased with, um, with Neil Roberts, the art, the cover artist for the Heresy series. So there's a really nice, um, post up there with him talking about how he does the covers and, and the process for that so um if people want to know more stuff about angels of caliban and you know this is writing advice and all kinds of other stuff then check out the website and they can sign up for a newsletter as well um and get a chunk the next one i do a prize draw every month every other month for a signed book so the next one is hardback of deliverance lost so that's always worth uh, signing up for and then i just get to you know send you an email about once a month <laughs> absolutely and then also your Facebook page, man. You, you don't give your Facebook page enough credit. I mean, that you are 
active on that Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, Facebook, which you just search for Gav Thorpe, or I'm on Twitter, at Dennis Hamster. Um, uh, yeah, which is a, a combination of a bit of professional stuff and a bit of random politics and nonsense and stuff. But yeah, my Facebook page is kind of like the professional, you know, that, where I talk about the books and the events and everything else that's coming out. So yeah, you heard it, guys. Go check it out. Go sign up for his uh, email list and get some uh, get, get into those drawings. That's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I know my fingers are crossed. I'm on part of that that list. So <laughs> okay. So like I, I wish said, you luck. <laughs> so like I said, we appreciate you coming on, uh, guys. We're gonna go to a musical break and then we'll go ahead and close out. Thanks once again, Gab. Thank you. Great talking to you.
you.